Ready to hit it? Yep. Let's do it. Let's hit it. Ready? Well, 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 well. Good morning this morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to all of you. Today is December 12th, 13th. Right. About the time you start to, you know, if you're already set up, you know, for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And you already have your gifts and things like that. This is kind of like one of those, uh, you know, those, uh, you just kind of coast. But for some of you, this is where everything just kind of picks up. And suddenly you're scrambling and doing whatever. But that's uh, that's how it all goes here in the world. Good morning this morning, everybody. Well, we have uh, Cohen getting three years. And, I, you know, I get these texts from Kaysen, you know. It's, hang, on, hang on a second. Today I saved some time again. This time it was pretty, pretty, pretty crafty. Me, I figure I said I drink. Say I drink cold coffee anyway, right? So, I mean, I, I, I like cold coffee. I drink that cold brew stuff, and the cold brew costs you know like four bucks a 
bottle, which is ridiculous anyway. Hold on, let me get you guys up on Facebook. Let me just uh, get, get it together or leave it alone. If you don't want my loving, I'll be gone. Hold on a second here, people. Come on now. Good morning. Good morning. Live from the Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing Studios, my people. It is Radio Free Almond. So now I'm on uh, Facebook uh, up there checking everybody out. Good morning, this morning. And yes. So here we are. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you guys should know I drink uh, cold coffee. Good morning, this morning, Margaret. Good morning, Mama Kay. Good morning, Father Tom. Good morning. So normally you guys know uh, that I drink cold coffee, and oftentimes the coffee, uh, it comes in the cold brew form, and oftentimes the uh, cold brew form comes in the form of a bottle, and sometimes the bottle is a cold brew deal that costs uh, probably about, uh, gee whiz, like four bucks. It's freaking nuts. And so I decided, well, I drink cold coffee anyway, and so what I'll do is I'll go ahead and grab coffee the night before, like I was getting gas last night, and so I decided I'm going get to get some coffee the night before, and I don't know what a cup of coffee is, 70 cents or whatever it is, uh, get that the night before and leave it in my truck, and here I have some cold coffee, y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it tastes just as good as the crap I get in that jar, in that, uh, in that cup, in that uh, $4 bottle thing anyway, and it's, it's actually c- cold. And it's nice, and it's black coffee, and it's, you know, how I'm rolling, y'all. That's how it goes. So take my uh, shirt off. It's a little warm. I mean, my, my, not my shirt off, but, you know, my outer my outer wear off. My shirt off. Yeah, I can do that. Put it over there. There. Okay. Now we're ready to go. Good morning, this morning. One more time. Good idea, Mama K. Yes, I know. Now, you know, of course, you, can, you people want, you know, I know people want fresh coffee or whatever that means. I don't know. And so I figure that, well, um, this, uh, I, I don't even know what, fr- I don't even know what the coffee is in the, in the $4 bottle is. I mean, how, that's not fresh either. Right. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, I have a, uh, I, I have a, um, I don't know what it was in that bottle. It's that can't be that can't be brewed fresh. It's in a bottle. So this is this is no fresher or no less fresh than the stuff that's in the uh, in the damn uh, bottle that I'm paying four bucks for. So you know, huh? Mm. This actually tastes good. Damn, that's from a uh, Circle K. Circle K. All right, so here we are, people. With um, but yeah, no, case and I, 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 it's not it's not about being you know, Tom. Thank you, Tommy. Good to see you, by by the way, buddy. Um, but it being blocked necessarily, you know, uh, I, I, Cason could call me when he wants to, or text me and, you know, and sometimes I have him on the show, so I've got to kind of get him, I got to get him up there and, and, uh, and call him and, you know, so that's so why I have to have him on and he doesn't bother me that much. He'll just text me some, but, but he's weird because he'll text me like one word, you know, corroboration. I'm like, Really? You know, it's like four fifty-two in the morning. I'm getting I get one word from him. Corroboration. Like I'm supposed to be menaced by that. Like I'm supposed to be waking up going, Oh no, Donald Trump's going to jail. I'm like, meh. And I then then of course I send the obligatory question mark back to him when uh, I get up a little later. Cause I, I do I don't get I I prepare a lot of the show in the evening time before I go to bed. I go to bed late as it is. And so I kind of pop out of bed and roll down to the to the, to the studio, but 
So anyway, it's it's it, he is texting me while I'm still asleep, and then he um he gets the uh, cooperation. Then, then I send okay, uh, you know. Then I humor him and send him a question mark back. Then he sends me something, and and, and of course, this is one of those things where people we don't really. He, he goes, David Pecker corroborates everything. Jail, and of course. I don't know who David Pecker is. You guys might know who he is. I don't care who David Pecker is. And Donald Trump is not going to jail. And if Donald Trump were going to jail, he'd have he'd already be there. And Robert Mueller doesn't have crap. He went after low-hanging fruit like Cohen. And Cohen, though, boy, I'll tell you what. Talk about uh, white privilege. Well... Let me tell you something, man. Uh, I don't know whether you want to call it that, but three years for what he did? It's pretty amazing. You or I would never get three years for, for, for that. Uh, it was far less than what anybody thought he was going to get, certainly far less than what prosecutors wanted him to get. And, yeah, he's a liar. He's a thief. He's uh, not to be trusted. And he is uh, not going to... Ha- give any information about Donald Trump. You know what Cohen did, really, what Cohen did? Cohen amassed like a $4 million fortune by promising access to people to the president, by, by promising, saying, hey, you pay me this. And some, there were some comp, you know, very prestigious and, and uh, well-put-together companies that bought into it, paid him money, so that they could have the uh, with with the um, to, with the president. I'm, I don't know whether they ever had access to the president or what things they had access uh, with. Uh, but but these were companies that paid to gain access and gave Cohen like four million bucks, and uh, you know altogether. And so th- this is uh, one of those things where. He was the one who who went ahead and tried to amass this fortune and 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 utilize the president, use the president to uh, for financial gain. Uh, this guy has nothing on the president. And there's and and the president's not going to jail. Cohen is a crook. He's a racketeer, and he you know he complained about how he was uh, he he overly trusted President Trump. And the reality is, uh, President Trump overly trusted him. And so, you know, it's this is not a big deal. Somebody just mentioned, uh, I think uh, Jimmy did, that uh, the, the the Flynn judge, the judge who dealt with uh, General Flynn, wants all the records from the DA. So that ought to be interesting. Maybe we're going to go. Um, maybe we're going to get some more information about how uh, Flynn was basically not guilty, and of course he pleaded guilty to something he didn't do, which was a sad thing, a sad state of affairs, but he did plead guilty to something he didn't do, only because he was going bankrupt, and because Mueller threatened to go after his son. This whole operation is crooked as it is, and at least I think, yeah, Cohen was definitely pimping out the president. That's what he was up to. So uh, the fantasists out there who believe that President Trump is going to be going to jail over all this is ridiculous. Everybody, they all keep thinking we're getting we're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. It's like, no, you're not. You're getting farther and farther and farther and farther away. That's pretty clear right now. You guys keep on 
this is this is I guess I could describe it as nibbling around the edges, but there are no edges. So you know that that's what the the, the fantasists and the unicorn of vision leftists all are thinking. Oh, we got they got one. Oh, they you keep on coming up with these people that are just kind of like non-players and just a bunch of crooks and you might call it nibbling around the edges but you have to have an edge to nibble on and there is no edge to nibble on these guys are all floating out there as separate crooks and they're slowly being picked off by an investigation that probably shouldn't have happened anyway and Mueller's just uh, sweeping up crumbs man he's got nothing I, I, I'd love to – there's so many analogies to what Mueller is doing right now, but he is coming in, and there's, there's no treasure there. There's nothing there for him. This is, this is Al Capone's vault all over again, although he's finding more than Geraldo did. But nonetheless, this is definitely Al Capone's vault. There's nothing in there. That's all I'm saying, and they don't have anything. Heck, even Maxine Waters seemingly is uh, getting dejected because she now, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who recently called Trump, quote, a criminal and said he quote, she, she was interviewed uh, on Chris Hayes's show. And Maxine Waters gets out there. You know, Maxine Waters, is the one who said that she wanted to uh, uh, she wanted all of her flying monkeys to get out there and uh, and attack people in at the gasoline station. By the way, have any of you, by the way, been yelled at at a gasoline station? Apparently not even her own lefties listen to Maxine Waters because I realize some people are going into restaurants and taking people's food and yelling at them and doing all that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, this is one of those things. Anyway, she's interviewed by Chris Hayes. And even she seems Congress, to be for backing off. Um, you have a different view than Republican colleagues of yours over on the other side uh, in the Senate. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, just one. This is about impeachment, by the way. Uh, those members of the Senate basically make excuses, say they don't care. Uh, they don't know what's going on. It's pathetic. It's pathetic uh, that these men have been elected uh, from the states in the this country, rather, uh, to represent. God, she's dumb as a bag of hair. I'm telling you. This is like, she's, she's like the female Al Sharpton. You know, it, it, they have been elected in the States, uh, in the, in the uh, America. It's like, what are, you, what are you doing? I mean, you know, she, she, she's talking about how these people should never have been elected. How, how is a person of that, that low number of synapses in her brain get elected to Congress? Are the states that have been a, a, a part? Uh, they don't know what's going on. It's pathetic. It's pathetic uh, that these men have been elected uh, from the states in the this country. I mean, come on. This is what we get? It is pathetic that these people have been elected from the states in this country. It's like, what are you talking about? And open your eyelids, please, lady. This is California's finest here. Uh, From the states that have been in the Americas with uh, three chambers of government. Uh, represent the people. And they're basically saying uh, they don't care about the rule of law. And they know 
uh, that this president has committed a crime or crimes. Uh, they know uh, that he directed Cohen and that it's more than simply, you know, being complicit. Uh, this was what he created. He created uh, this hush money and paying off these women. And yes. I see. Prosecutor and judge Maxine Waters. is a federal violation. As a matter of fact, all of the money that we collect for any of these federal offices must be clean money. It cannot be corporate money be disclosed. You can't launder the money and send it through somebody else, use corporate money, and then say, oh, it's not a federal crime. Well, Trump would like to redefine the law the way that he wants to redefine it, but he's wrong. I have to, I have to admit, I'm impressed she was able to string words together uh, in, in the fashion she, that she just did. I, I, it looks like she recovered from her, you know, elected from the states of the Miss America. Uh, and then started to put together a bunch of words I still don't understand, but still yes, she's got there. I believe that he should be impeached. So I really do believe that. You you have been you have been outspoken about that, and I think the evidence supports. And Chris Hayes is taking her so seriously, like he's he really is. He's sitting there like he's interviewing, you know, uh, just name anybody but Maxine Waters, who uh, who happens to be have one more point of an IQ ahead of her. But, yeah, he's taking this woman seriously. But, yeah. uh, Contention of yours has only grown stronger since you first said that you thought that was appropriate. Uh, Here's a scenario that seems likely to me in the next Congress, and I'd like to get your reaction to it. I think there are a lot of Democrats who don't want to impeach the president because they think it's it's politically overstepping. It will risk backlash. I think there's a lot of Democrats in the Senate who don't want to vote either way. They don't want to do any of that. That's true. Yes, Yes, it is true. And, and, And there will be a huge amount of backlash if this is what we're going through for the next two years until 2020 and even after 2020 when President Trump is elected to a second term. And right now, uh, as evidenced even by yesterday, when I talked talk, talk about Chuck Schumer comes to a meeting with the president and all he has as backup is a Washington Post article. So these people have nothing. And they have people like Maxine Waters and dummies like Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez, who doesn't even, doesn't even know how, how many uh, branches of government they are and even calls them chambers when she talks about it. it it's unbelievable the lack of brain power they have. And, and they have Beto O'Rourke, I think, who I didn't get to yesterday on the whole issue of, uh, of the straw poll that, that said he was going to be uh, the, the likely nominee uh, of the Democratic Party. And keep in mind uh, that the best thing they have about Beto O'Rourke going for him is that he looks like Bobby Kennedy. Oh, he looks like Bobby, and he doesn't look like Bobby Kennedy, but he's white and has a, has a haircut. That's pretty much about as close to Bobby Kennedy as Beto O'Rourke gets. But, you know, that's what passes for uh, for stature these days in the Democratic Party. Also, you know what I didn't get to yesterday? I didn't get to the James Bond study showing that he is a alcohol abuser. I didn't get to that study. Somebody actually studied that and determined that he is a chronic alcohol abuser. James Bond, who doesn't exist. Interesting. All right, so let's get back to uh, Chris Hayes and Maxine Waters, Tweedledum and Tweedledumber. Rob Portman, you know, warning you that if you if Nancy Pelosi spends two years investigations and possibly an impeachment proceeding, it's going to make it very, very difficult to get anything done. And yet it seems to me that the, 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 the gravity, the center of gravity of this may just move faster than Democrats can contain it. 
Well, absolutely, and let me just say this. All of the descriptions of what would happen if we move to impeach Trump are basically excuses. Excuses mm. because, you know, uh, maybe they don't want to fail at it. Uh, maybe they believe that Trump will cause a revolt. You know, <laughs> you talk about violence, you know, and they accuse... She talks about violence. The only violence that has been committed has been, first of all, at the behest of Maxine Waters and committed by sore loser lefties who can't tolerate the results of the election of 2016. That's the only violence we've seen. And there she is talking about the possibility of violence when it doesn't, when there has been no indication there would be violence. But I have to tell you that uh, you ought to be careful what you wish for because if there is a deep state or upfront state takedown of President Trump and he is removed from office, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a revolt, but it's not going to be a violent revolt. It's just going to be another run at the ballot box that's going to turn out badly for Democrats. That's the revolt you're going to see. But she's talking about violence. And I'm my girlfriend. The only people that have called for violence or talked about violence are you. That's pretty much it. You mean uh, violence at the gasoline station, Maxine? We're going to get what well, you mean if you impeach President Trump. Are you afraid we're going to yell at you at the gasoline station? And, and, and take your uh, t- your your uh, doggy bag off of the off of the table when you're at a restaurant. Is that what you're afraid of? Maybe they don't want to fail at it. Uh, maybe they believe that Trump will cause a revolt. You know, you talk about violence. You know, and they accuse others of violence. This president basically said, "If you move to impeach me, my people are going to revolt." Yeah, you and you know what? You're damn right. We will. But it's not the kind of revolt that you're calling for on the steps of the U.S. Capitol or the kind of revolt that you're calling for that involves people yelling at one another. We already revolted in November of 2016, Maxine. We handed you and your party your asses, and we'll do it again. So that's, the, that's, how, that's how sensible people and common sense people revolt. We go to the ballot box. That's our revolution. That's how we do it. You do it banana republic style and attack people physically and everything else we do it by going to the ballot box that's just something you're going to have to learn maxine maybe some of that is resonating uh with you know the senators the members of congress republican or democrat but they are derelict in their responsibility the constitution gives us the responsibility uh to impeach a president and others in government if in fact uh, they are guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors which we define i believe that this president is dangerous. I think he has undermined our democracy. I think he's aligned himself with the enemy, with Putin. He loves dictators. He has literally uh, undone... Chris Hayes just sits there and lets this woman ramble on this way. And it's nothing you've never heard before. But keep in mind... This is the Democratic Party. I hope, you, I hope you know that. And the more Donald Trump and the more we and others make sure that this stink sticks on the Democratic Party through 2020 and beyond, 
we have to make sure that we keep on putting people like this up front, which is part of the reason why I'm playing this annoying stooge for you this morning, because this way you know this is what the Democratic Party is. Don't pretend it's Nancy Pelosi. Don't pretend it's – this is the person who is representing the Democratic Party here, calling the president dangerous. To give and let me tell you something. Maxine Waters is a sitting congresswoman from California, right? And it, this, is, this is how it works. If you're a congresswoman and you are a sitting member of Congress, you can draw up anything you want to in terms of articles of impeachment or whatever. You can, you can do whatever you want to. You can go ahead and get behind a keyboard or a computer and go ahead and type up your little, your little deal here and type up the articles of impeachment yourself. Because I'll tell you, Maxine Waters has been talking about this for a long, long time, and, 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 and she has done nothing but just sit there and babble on. She's 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 done nothing in the way of of taking any action. She keeps talking like this, but she's a congresswoman. She's just, you know, I mean, I was going to say she's just not some hack, but she is a hack, but she's also a congresswoman. She has every ability on the planet to draw up the articles of, of uh, impeachment policy that has been created for the safety of the citizens of this country. And I believe that he certainly qualifies for impeachment. We may never get it done. No, you won't get it done. You'll never get it done. And if you do get it done, we will revolt. And when we revolt, we run people out of office. That's how it happens. We don't really do the revolt banana republic style like you and your flying monkeys do. So you, we, we've, we've answered your question, Maxine Waters, and the question is no, 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 and you're right. And actually, you know what? In listening to her and watching her, you actually have to watch the video if you actually dare want to go through it. And uh, t- to watch her, she's actually very happy with herself that she's managing to make it through complete sentences, even though she's making up words and stuff like that. She see, she's one of those people you, if, you, if you look at this and you look at the way she comports herself, she's one of those people who it, it looks as if she's just learned the English language and is celebrating every period at the end of a sentence because she managed to get through it, which I, I am impressed. She's, she's not that close to Al Sharpton. She's close, but not that close. But you can see her being so proud of herself for actually speaking and going through to a period, it's kind of like she's amazing herself. And maybe Democrats fear that somehow if we move to impeach him, maybe his base will grow larger. I don't think so. Yeah, no, uh, it will. I mean, she, she's saying everything that basically is the truth about what will happen if there is a pursuit of impeachment and certainly if there is impeachment, which won't happen. But she's got us right. She's got us pegged. At least, uh, at least Maxine Waters is smart enough to kind of uh, pick up on uh, what we're throwing out there as common sense voters and as Trump supporters. We know, uh, we know uh, what's going on here. So, all right, I've got a an appointment with uh, Jim Carafano here in uh, just a second. Talk to him about six thirty. We're going to have an early bird special with uh, Jim Carafano. So, I'm going to get to the anthem. All right, and then I'm going to get to the uh, to the uh, little music. Eventually, I'm going to get to the study that was undertaken of James Bond movies. 
where they have come to the conclusion that James Bond is uh, a chronic alcohol abuser. And thinking, oh, really? There is no such thing as James Bond. Oh, you mean the movie character? Got it. Okay. Hey, how long did it take you to do this? We'll talk about that in just a little bit. I'll get to that straw poll that I was going to get to yesterday about Beto O'Rourke. And actually, CBS News, I I want to tell you, sometimes it's fun to laugh at ourselves. And CBS News actually kind of made a joke about Vice President Pence when he was sitting there in the uh, in the Oval Office, and I think it's kind of funny, actually, to tell you the truth. People are like thinking it's derisive, but it really isn't. It's 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 kind of funny. Now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. What would you do with the money if you didn't have to pay your house payment for two months, especially around the holidays? That's right. No house payment for two months. This is James Hawkins at Golden Oak Lending. Don't let money problems spoil your holidays. You can use the increased value of your home to pay off bills or get cash out. Put two months of house payments in your pocket. Visit GoldenOakLending.com or call 314-567-GOLD. NMLS 1149-37-111 West Fort Plaza, St. Louis, Missouri. Call 567-GOLD. We are live from the Discovery Design, Truck Care, and Manufacturing Studios. Good morning this morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to all of you. And I'm going to get a hold of Jim Carifano here. By the way, I really love that. I don't know, Jim, how did you know that was... Uh, Jim, Jimmy said, hoorah. And how did you know that was... How did you know that was the... Marine Band, Paris Island. That's really good. I really like that national anthem. It's uh, from an album called One Nation, a celebration of the American spirit. And it's done by the uh, Marine Band, Paris Island. It's really good. 
really like that that version of it. I, I don't know why I'm just now noticing it. I've played it before, but but that's the deal here. Let me get the Jimmy Jim 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 Jimmery Jim Jim Carafano. Hold on, let me get Skype going here. Come on, here we go. On the dance floor. Let's go. Come on, baby. Jim Carafano. Ladies and gentlemen, it's James J. Carafano, everybody, from Washington, D.C. What's going on, brother? Um, you know, it's actually, uh, it's not Washington at, uh, at the usual Christmas, because normally Congress is out of town by now. Streets are dead. You can get a reservation at the restaurant. All the Christmas trees are up and everything. But, you know, Congress is still here and and running around, and it seems like the news cycle is as crazy as ever. So it doesn't <laughs> really quite feel like a Washington Christmas just quite yet. Aha. Uh-huh. That's that's an interesting uh, observation. I guess I, I didn't realize that about D.C. and about how generally as you kind of get into the December that things are quieting down. They don't seem to be at all. And, yeah, well, sorry about that. I hope that it gets to be a little more calm. For you. No, that's it's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we actually we, we got out, we got our tree, we're getting our presents wrapped, uh, making the rounds of the embassy Christmas receptions, which I think is hilarious because um, everybody has Christmas receptions; they don't have holiday receptions. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that's pretty. Stay, at least we're still politically incorrect in that. I love that. So that's pretty cool. I've I've been along uh, when I when I used to go there more frequently uh, when I was working in TV and also just uh, in radio. I'd get up there oftentimes, and I would be able. To, I would usually stay at a particular place. I liked it in Dupont Circle there, and, and liked that whole Massachusetts Avenue, Rhode Island uh, intersect. Yeah. And and then of course there's Embassy Row right there, and it's yeah, pretty go- cool. Yeah, you go to these embassy receptions. You feel like you're in one of movies, you know, those movies, you know, where the spies are roaming around. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of, and you know, the, the the interesting thing about embassy receptions is, is you never know who you're going to run into. You're running, you know, folks in government, other embassies. It's it's uh, it's it's always a little serendipitous, but that, that's part of the season. Um, part of the season too, and uh, but things will quiet down. I mean, eventually they'll get out of here and. Uh, and then it'll be a you know quiet Washington Christmas. It'll be it'll be re- really really awesome. I'm uh, really interested to see how this showdown goes between uh, the president and the Congress on uh, on the on the final funding bills here. Yes, and the debate over border security funding. And uh, but that'll make make for some exciting things running up to the holidays. I I, I just before we get to that, I want to I want to go go back to the embassy. And and the whole vibe of the Christmas party there, and I and, and as you were talking, 
I was uh, I was conjuring in my mind the uh, the tinkling of wine glasses and cocktail glasses and uh, and 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 the din of the noise there, and then somebody approaching James Carafano. Uh, pleased to meet your pleased to meet your acquaintance, uh, Mr. Carafano. And you know, and and, and his and his and his yeah, pretty accurate, yeah. his wife kind of leering at you on the side, kind of like, hmm, I wonder who he is. You know, that kind of thing. I, I like that whole palace intrigue type of stuff. Now, keep in mind, obviously, people are avoiding the Russian embassy Christmas party. Is that correct? Or at least Republicans are. I, I, I have to I have to admit, I've never been invited <laughs> uh, to, a, to a Russian embassy Christmas party. I, I don't even know if they have them. Well, I will have to tell you really quickly, again, before we get to the border thing, I went up there right after... 9-11 and did some stories about uh, DARPA and the CIA and I did some kind of uh, intriguing type of counterintelligence stuff there and one of the fascinating stories about the Russian embassy there is one year I believe they discovered that the Russians were tunneling under the street. Is that correct? Um, so both sides, I don't, I don't think Correct the Russians. Now we did do that to the Russians. Okay, we, we did Berlin. that. We, we we tunneled under their embassy. And, <laughs> right. Okay. And we do we do spy at each other. I, I was walking past the Russian embassy the other day and I was saying, "Gee, I wish what, which one of these buildings is the FBI building? You know, where they watch who comes in and who goes out of the embassy." So we um, we both keep keep tabs on each other, and that's yeah. a three sixty five. Nobody stops for the holidays, but yeah. yeah you, you know, it's funny you said that. I, I actually don't. If the Russians have stuff, you know, I don't know. And, you know, we do a lot of stuff with the embassies. I mean, you know, in a typical year, I, I don't know how many foreign dignitaries and parliamentarians. Matter of fact, we got um, uh, John Bolton's coming over this morning to do a, a speech at Heritage. It's going to be uh, streamed live on our, our website, heritage.org. But, um, we don't invite the Russians, uh, and the and the Russians don't invite us. So, oh, okay, yeah, I I, I did, but that that tunneling story was fascinating. Uh, all right, so today, and, and people forget that you guys do this actually frequently at heritage.org. Uh, when when you do have people who come there and speak, uh, dignitaries and beyond, you actually do live stream it. So, what time today would we see John Bolton then? I I think it's I think it's ten. Okay. All right, cool. I, that, that's, I'm going I'm to Google it while we're talking. Okay, but. yeah, that's really cool that you guys do that. And, and I mean, I, people forget. I do. I talk to Jim, you know, every week, as you all know, and we talk uh, topically. But sometimes, what you all need to know is that Heritage is just an absolute wonderful clearinghouse of great info. They have uh, not only these live streams uh, that will feature, for instance, today John Bolton coming and speaking to uh, Heritage and to some folks there. Uh, but also they have all kinds of uh, just uh, studies and white papers and things like that, whether it be on missile defense, whether it be on terrorism, whether it be on immigration. They just are an absolute just uh, bevy of info and really a great, valuable resource. So you guys do some great work there. So uh, sometimes we, uh, I think, some tend to underplay that and we take Jim Carafano for granted here. But these guys do some really good work up there, just so you know. So we'll do that. So All it's right. actually going to be um, nine thirty Eastern Standard Time. Okay. All right. That'll be eight thirty our time. So yeah. Um, right. I'll, and if you just go to heritage.org and, and 
and click on events, it'll it'll take you right to it. Okay, I'll give people permission to uh, to multitask and both uh, pay attention to the Almond in the Morning show, the, okay. the the show, and then and maybe uh, peel off a little bit of John Bolton there at the Heritage. That'd be great. Perfect. Perfect. All yeah. right, but yeah, he's. Yeah, no doubt. No, I mean, as I said, we have like seventy um, reporters coming. And wow, it's probably going to be twenty, yeah, twenty to thirty cameras there. So, well, so so, what do you think uh, Bolton will be talking about? Will it be about the recent uh, terrorism, or will it be about the actual immigration stuff? No, it's it's going to be about um, Africa. Oh, so the administration's rolling out a new Africa strategy. So, you know, this is something that we we don't actually talk about. I mean. And this is, I think, true for both Obama and Bush, which is we actually didn't have very sophisticated strategies for either Latin America or Africa. It's always kind of been the backwater of American foreign policy. And and our foreign policy in Africa, particularly since 9-11, has been almost exclusively focused on counterterrorism. This administration has been very forward-thinking on both Africa and Latin America, and um, they actually have a very sophisticated strategy for Africa, not just dealing with terrorism, but dealing with the destabilizing influence of China, uh, human rights issues, engaging economically with Africa. So it's actually pretty sophisticated and and much more thought out than uh, the Obama strategy. You know, at the end of eight years, if you want somebody to say, what's Obama's strategy for Africa, you probably – have people scratch their head um and latin america as well unbelievable story in latin america where the united states is probably going to wind up with partnering with mexico and brazil so cooperating really with kind of the two superpowers of latin america i think that's going to be transformative in terms of economic development and political stability in the region dealing with the, the criminal drug uh cartel issues and nobody pay, and all we do is kind of rant about you know Mueller and you know the red Christmas tree in the White House. <laughs> right, right, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Well, so so tell me, Jim. I'm I'm curious about this because I did I didn't and I, I do want to get to the wall discussion, but I'm I'm curious about the when you say Africa policy in general because a lot of people, including myself really don't quite understand the geopolitical ramifications of Africa and, and, and why we need to pay attention to it at all or what, and, and what's happening there and how that ties into our lives. Well, the, the, the number one way is if you think of North Africa, Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, even Egypt, uh, if that area – is troubled and there are problems that spills over into the Middle East. Um, for example, many of the foreign fighters that were in ISIS came out of Libya and Tunisia. And then, if the Middle East destabilizes, you know, it's like that 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 dumps into Western Europe, including the million refugees wave that we had in, in 2015. So, North Africa is kind of the base of, of stability of that whole hemisphere. And and that's important. I mean, Europe is still our largest trading partner. NATO is, is critically important to us. So, and the Middle East is like the crossroads of the world. It's not just oil, uh, air, air transport, uh, 
all the most of the world's shipping uh, through this the uh, through the uh, uh, um, the Suez Canal. So that's important. And and the other thing that's increasingly becoming an issue is is China. China goes into these countries, they gobble up resources. They dump money into corrupt governments that undermines the stability of those countries, and, and it creates more problems. So you, nobody can sit and look in the eye and say, look, the challenges the U.S. faces in Africa rival dealing with Iran or Russia or China, but they're not uh, insignificant, and, and the United States needs to pay attention. And we need to pay attention commensurate with our interests. And this administration is actually very, very good this way. I mean, if you think that, if we could just kind of separate the craziness rhetoric from the actual reality. I mean, if you think back when they said, you know, Trump is isolationist, right? He doesn't believe in, in partnerships. He doesn't believe in allies. None of that is actually prone to be true. And in many ways, his policies have been more mature and sophisticated than the last two presidents. And 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 we have to acknowledge they're his policies. They haven't done his watch. You know, John Bolton is not coming here to give a speech on John Bolton's Africa strategy. This is a strategy that the president of the United States has said, yes, this is what we will do. And I just, you know, it's almost like we need two Jamie Allen radio shows, right? We need one Jamie Allen radio show where everybody can just rant about how they feel about Trump's tweets. And then we need another Jamie Allen radio show just to talk about, well, what's really going on in the world? It'd be two totally different shows. Right. Are the two Jamie Almonds? We only get one of those, right? Hopefully. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you have to double your airtime. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, no doubt about you it. Have well, the, the Jamie Almond show for adults. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, it's like adult listening, right? Like adult, you know, adult music radio. Like, so here's the calm show with the, with the, uh, with Percy Faith and his orchestra. And then there could be the Jamie Almond show with, with, well, I do have to tell you that oftentimes people wonder whether there are two Jamie Almonds because I literally can go into a, an entire discussion about heady topics like geopolitical ramifications of Africa, and then suddenly I'm talking about Christmas lights or uh, or who I liked better, Marianne or uh, or Ginger in Gilligan's Island. So I mean, it could be. I mean, it could go anywhere, and sometimes within the same discussion. So. Uh, yes, you do get that, but but I know what you're saying uh, in general. But also, Those are both vitally important questions. Uh, no doubt about. It. Are you, by the way, quickly then, are, are you Marianne or Ginger? Uh, I, I think I, I think I think um, definitely Marianne. Me too. I mean, just thinking back, I, pro- I was probably like 11 years old at the time, but yeah, uh, but. But I, yeah, I mean, if it was who, who would I have asked to the problem? It definitely, I think it would have been Marianne. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, okay. How about this, Wilma or Betty? In the Flintstones. What? So, sorry. Uh, Wilma or Betty in the Flintstones? Which one was would, would that oh, be for you? Oh. They were both married women. I I couldn't go there. Oh, I know. I well, I know, but you, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Good answer. Uh, never mind. I just was wondering. I didn't. I didn't even. You're right. So. Yeah, you're. Uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, I better move on. So, hey, so we have the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping this is listening on that. Yeah, one. right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, really, you're well trained, my friend. So, uh, 
interesting, though, about Northern Africa, because the other thing that I think is concerning about making sure that that area is stable is because we're seeing what's happening in Western Europe with migration levels. And so people technically, the more stable Tunisia, Libya and and the other countries you mentioned are, uh, the better off perhaps Western Europe might be. I don't know, uh, because these people sometimes want to commit acts of terror anyway, so they'll come there to begin with. But nonetheless, it seems to be, be there's a vested interest in making sure that area is stable there. Yeah, and not to, I mean, I'm, so, you know, there's this thing called the, the uh, Global Migration Treaty, which uh, is actually being voted on in, uh, in the UN. Um, I think it actually could be today. And, you know, on the surface, it's one of these things that, well, why wouldn't we want to protect people that are migrating and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, is um, if, if you essentially say everybody in the world has a, the, the right to migrate anywhere they want, you are putting a weapon in the hands of totalitarian regimes and other evildoers because all they have to do is create a situation and put a bunch of migrants on the road, like the migrant caravan coming to the United States or the million refugees pouring into Western Europe, and you can destabilize any part of the world. And basically what what the treaty does is it endorses the right to do that. I mean it's essentially putting in the hands of bad people the equivalent of a nuclear weapon. So, but instead of dropping a nuclear weapon on Paris, you drop a million refugees on Paris. And then, according to the treaty, France is wrong not to take in a million refugees. Somebody, you know, this Gallipoli day, like if if everybody in the world could move wherever they want, something like two out of every seven people in the world would move to the United States. Yes. I mean, is that really kind of realistic? I mean, come on. Well, no. You know, somebody would say if you take any ideology to its extreme, it it just becomes idiocy. This notion of, you know, the universal right for people to migrate and live anywhere they want. How does that make sense? I mean, I mean, so literally it's it would be like. If people wanted to come and live in your house, that should be okay. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so simple. Uh, and and you and you can apply that to so many. I mean, I even, you know, I even I oftentimes will reference a uh, a a parable, a Bertolt Brecht parable, called the Good Woman of Sichuan, where she's a good Samaritan and she takes in all these people. And what happens ultimately, though, is she takes so many people in that they overrun her whole house and eat her out of house and home and destroy your furniture. And it gets to the point where even as good as this woman wants to be, she can't be good anymore because every her goodness has collapsed under its own weight. And so uh, it's a it's a it's an interesting parable, and it's a it's an old one. So people have had knowledge of the of the perils of this kind of policy and this kind of action for a long time. Yeah. What was that movie with uh, Jennifer Lawrence? Like, wasn't that like everybody moves in her house or something? Wasn't that something like that? Or, but that was about like global warming or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you, well, look, look, you could even take it to a children's story about the mitten and suddenly all these animals, uh, somebody loses a mitten outside and all these animals start to live in the mitten. And unfortunately, what happens is so many animals want to live in the mitten. They all crawl into the mitten and suddenly the mitten bursts open 
and uh, and they and nobody has a mitten. So that's another story I can bring up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so. <laughs> Let me ask you this really quickly. I don't know whether you get into this kind of discussion and, 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 or whether you avoid it or not, but with the terrorist attack that we saw uh, right. in, in Strasbourg, which I'm, I know you've been there. I, I'm looking at the pictures. Boy, that place is beautiful, by the way. It is. It's very sad. It really is. And so we have another example of uh, we, uh, blood and Christmas lights is what we saw even in Berlin in uh, in 2016, with the bus crashing into the into the the market there, and and so a long time ago, even after 9/11, there was a reluctance on the part of some individuals to call this a holy war, uh, and I guess because they were afraid of another you know kind of reference to the Crusades or whatever. Yeah. But 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 wouldn't isn't it a foregone conclusion that this is about religion or what do what do you experts say about what this is? Yeah, we actually have a couple of really good papers on our website on that. Um, one recently is by an analyst named Mary Haybeck. So if you just go to heritage.org and type in Haybeck or whatever, you can find it. It gets a, it gets a little complicated. It's not a religious war. And, and part of the argument for that is there are literally, literally millions many tens of millions of Muslims around the world who are living in peace and, and religious tolerance. We look at countries like Indonesia, Malaysia, India, which has one of the world's largest Muslim populations. So, but on the other hand, right, it's a fair argument that the, that the Islamist extremists um, are using their interpretation of the religion to justify their activities. So you can't delink the, the religious doctrine from extremist activities, but that's different from, from, from saying the religion is the problem. Uh, so that's why at Heritage, for example, we use the term Islamist extremism, right? It makes the connection to a political ideology of Islamism, which essentially tries to turn a, the religious doctrine into political rule, uh, uh, where essentially the religion, the religious leaders should be the dictators of people. So it's completely antithetical, for example, to our notion of popular sovereignty. And so we, we link that doctrinal belief, which is uh, a, a particular interpretation of religion, Islamism, to, to terrorism, which is the threat or use of violence in, in, in the pursuit of a political ends targeted at killing or injuring innocents. So, um, so I, I, I do think it's not a religious war, but there are but there are people for a political purpose that would like to have a religious war. That's a very interesting okay, that, that's a very interesting point you make too about India because first of all, and I, I, know, I wonder what the difference is because as you point out, India has one of the highest populations uh, of Muslims in the world. And yet, with the exception of, uh, I guess, I guess there's a couple. There, there have been a couple of attacks there, but they haven't been uh, what we've been seeing in Europe, uh, and even for that matter, in the United States at one point. But, but so, so, what do you think the difference is then so, uh, between, you know, these these attacks that we keep seeing in Western Europe, specifically in France and, and Germany and India, where you have the highest population of Muslims, but perhaps the lowest number, and maybe I'm mistaken, of 
Islamic terrorist attacks. Right, right. Well, they're not Indian Muslims, right? So the, 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 in the populations that have dumped into Europe over the last half decade, those populations have come from places where uh, there have been tens of thousands of extremists. So they are part of the flood that has dumped into Western Europe. They, and go back to Trump's travel ban, which was not an anti-Muslim. It was not a ban against Muslims. We didn't prohibit people coming from India or Indonesia or Malaysia. It was targeted on several specific countries, which couldn't really control who entered and exited their country, where we think most of the foreign fighters were going after ISIS was defeated in Iraq and Syria. And we were just trying to keep them from coming here, like, you know, putting people through a strainer. I mean, you know, go back to the border thing where the president said the other day, they were, well, you know, we think we caught 10 terrorists at the border. And DHS says, you know, actually in 2017, we probably either stopped at the border or, or before they got to the border, somewhere like between 3,000 um, to 4,000 suspected terrorists. And the reason why we have ports of entry is they're like a strainer. It, you know, it's when you pour stuff through the calendar and you want to pick out the seeds. When you when you pour people through the port of entry or try and travel the port of entry, you can screen out the terrorists and everything else. If they're just dumping in in masses, of course, open borders, then, you know, the bad seeds come in with the good. I mean, that's the problem in Europe. We dumped over a million people in Europe and then we tried to sort them out. That's that is not the way to manage migration, to deal with security risks and health risks and economic risks and everything else. You ha If you want to have you know, responsible migration. It has to feed through ports of entry and it has to be controlled by the countries uh, whose border they're crossing. It's just kind of that simple. I mean, and we don't need a global migration treaty to deal with that. But what we do need is this country. Look, I was just, oh, I got, I got another, uh, another uh, radio show coming in here. Oh, you do? Well, who are they? Yeah, sorry, I got to go. All right. Yeah. Well, what are you Let's cheating? You cheating on me, man. <laughs> Talk to you soon, brother. All right. See you later. I don't like that. Jimmy Jimmy just had to bow out because he had a d d another interview with another radio station. It could possibly be as uh, as important as this one, how that works. He's in high demand, uh, Jim Jim Carafano is. Man, I love talking to him, though. A and the, the one thing I was going to bring up was the uh, was the fact that uh, – that I know, that, is, that was kind of funny, Brandy, wasn't it? Brandy, what would you think about your buddy Daniel? And Jason in yesterday, they were fantastic, weren't they? If you guys didn't catch that at the end of the uh, show yesterday, these guys were great. Eight. 20 bucks a ticket, by the way, at Del Mar Hall is U2 Hype and Murmur, the REM band. And U2 Hype, of course, is the U2 band. So these guys are great. I'll put, I'll put something up there. And um, yeah, Jimmy, he's got two phones. Darn it. I got I to gotta change that. You know what he did was, see, I called him. I don't know whether I called him on a landline or what. I think I called him. I might have called him on his cell, and then he had that landline going, so he was anticipating. He didn't tell me. I think he doesn't even know sometimes. He he sometimes gets into these modes where he's in high demand, too, uh, and and no wonder. I mean, you just listen to the guy talk, and he's, you know, he's in demand. He's a great guy. One thing I was going to bring up, too, about that whole uh, Western and the, and the migration thing he was bringing up, the one wild hair here is the fact that this guy who committed the act of terror in Strasbourg is friggin' born in Strasbourg. 
So what the hell? I mean, and and again, you know, he's a was was a common criminal and everything else, and I, I, so he's he's but he's from he's of Tunisian descent, but he was born in Strasbourg. So it's like wow. I mean, I, at that point, you you don't envy the task of of these uh, folks in Europe in in terms of trying to get this together and get a get a lid on the on the terrorism there because uh, at this point uh, these people are now being born and bred in these places and that's that's just not good now I'd love to know more about his family whether they were ever assimilating or whatever uh but you know they uh, they are uh they are they've got a, uh, something way ahead of them yeah mama k uh you know, hey Brandy, yeah. You know, I'm trying to get actually, uh, the, the, I'm trying to get Heritage to actually have its own show on Radio Free Almond. When we do Radio Free Almond 2.0 beginning in January, I'm trying to actually get uh, Jimmy to have or Heritage actually to have an hour that they could fill with whomever they want to put on there because there are a lot of smart people at Heritage, and so that'd be great. And of course, uh, uh, Jim Talent and Jim Carafano would have a great show together as well. Uh, that is for sure. And darn it, you know what I was going to do? Because we were talking about Africa. Never got to talking about the wall, but that's all right. Uh, we were talking about Africa, and I was going to wow him with uh, with with Africa, <laughs> the song. I was gonna, I was going to wow him with with this rendition of Africa, the song. It's fantastic. It's it's one of my favorite versions. It's not the Toto version or the or the Weezer version. It's it's the Bob and Bev version, people. Come on. She's such a great singer, Bev is. She's fantastic. And she's she's so hot. She's wearing a, a Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse sweatshirt. It really looks great on her. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, uh, I don't know whether this was the day she washed her hair or maybe it'll be today. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's Bob. Love Bob, man. With his uh, do-rag. You don't get much hotter than that. I mean, I'm a guy and everything. I'm not gay or anything, but... Between the velvety voice and the do-rag, you can't go wrong with Bob. And his Fu Manchu mustache? Come on, people. I mean, these guys are just... Uh, they're a couple. They're... They're... Uh, they're married, so they... Yeah, Father Tom, they put Sonny and Cher to shame. I don't know why they don't do more of this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you guys, that's the point. It's supposed to hurt. It's funny because it's so bad. There you go. You're on to something. But, yeah, they should do more of this. Oh, that's right. Uh, they do do more of this. 
I, I did. I had. I had. I, I. I don't know whether you guys realize that, but they actually uh, do do more of this. Let's see. Um, oh, you know what? They do a version of uh, uh, Black Betty. Bob has since shaved his mustache in this one. He's got, but he still has his blue do rag. And you know what? He's got actually, uh, he's got actually the uh, three different versions of Bob here. I don't even know whether Betty's in this or not. I think I think he's got he's got his hat version. He's coughing during. So he's singing a. You don't call this like a duet. You've got you've got actually three guys, three different Bobs doing the same thing. So there's they're singing together, which is really highly technical. I mean, it's very it's very hard to do something like this. So you have to admit that the uh, the the Bob and Bev production level is. Just amazing. So you have actually not one Bob, but you've got three different Bobs, but they're the same Bob, and, and they're singing Black Betty together as a as a. I guess you call this instead of a duet, you call this a triplet. And they've got it all, and it's all obviously in tune. You can tell by the way he's uh, singing. You guys have to check this out. These guys are going to have a little fun. Watching people have fun. But here's the thing, though. These people, Bob and Bev are dead serious about this. They, they, are, uh, they, are, they are not kidding about what they're doing here. Do not take Bob and Bev with a grain of salt. You need to take them uh, as definitely a, uh, a force to be reckoned with on the Internet. But I was going to play that for them. I didn't get, I get, didn't get a chance to, chance to do that. I was uh, really interested in this article uh, that was uh, written by Helen Andrews. And I don't know whether you all ever were uh, able to, uh, to, to see this. It was on C-SPAN and it was a, it was a, uh, some kind of it was a consortium that was a C-SPAN panel, and and it was it was hosted, moderated by Jonah Goldberg, the liberal arts, and and, and it featured a guy that you might have seen on uh, on C on Fox News, and he uh, has been a commentator on Fox News, but has since left Fox News. So you had uh, Jonah Goldberg sitting here uh, with Todd Seavey and a woman named, uh, uh, named, oh, no, I don't have her name in front of me, uh, Helen Andrews. So this guy, Todd Seavey, I mean, and you want to look at the video, it's really weird. Because the background on this is that Todd Seavey and Helen Andrews at one time dated. So you have this panel. This was about eight years ago. You have this panel 
which and and this is uh, fascinating, by the way. And, and I, I want to get to this in just a second. But while you're sitting there, and while I've got you, I want to make sure you know that Michael Proctor right now is on the Facebook feed, and Michael Proctor is my window fashion guy. Proctor spelled like doctor. ProctorDrapery.com. Michael Proctor is available to you seven days a week, twenty four seven. Although you know he's he probably not going to come over at midnight, but you don't have window passion guys at midnight, all right? So you uh, you have to give him a call. Proctor spelled like doctor. ProctorDrapery.com for all your window fashion needs. And 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 Michael actually competes with some of the most highfalutin guys out there uh, in terms of window treatment. So he's not a competitor of like Home Depot. He's a competitor of the high fashion window guys, but. You're getting high fashion window treatments, which are the material is beautiful, the hardware is amazing, but you're getting it at a value you're not going to find anywhere else. So the prices are are better, more competitive than these other places. He comes to you. He's got his mobile design unit, and he's also your interior designer, all at the same time. And and, and so he is able to give you the kind of service that other people simply cannot. I heard somebody on the internet the other day, they were they had their own window treatment people and then they had a separate phone number for the for the interior designer who's supposed to help them out. And it's it's like, well that that's ridiculous. Why why go through all these different channels just to get what you can get with Michael Proctor. Proctor spelled like doctor, proctordrapery.com. So make sure you uh, get all of your uh, window treatments from uh, my buddy over there. I've gotten three of them from him, and he's done a great job. And I really appreciate his support of Radio Free Almond. And I'm going to reward him kindly when he actually is uh, a... Uh, uh, Oh, joining me for Radio Free Almond 2.0 come January. So he is the uh, he is the he's the originator. So Amy Eichmann, thank you so much, dear. Give Michael a call and he'll help you out. Anyway, this is uh, a little involved, but I want you to pay attention to this because this is uh, is uh, pretty amazing. So Jonah Goldberg, as you all know, is a never-Trumper, and he's from the National Review, and he's – I can't stand Jonah Goldberg, and he is a conservocrat. He's an establishment Republican. They they claim they're conservatives over the National Review. They're really not. But this video is quite possibly one of the creepiest videos I've seen, and the reason it was brought to my attention is because Helen Andrews uh, has come out with a – really interesting piece in a uh, website called First Things, and it's called Shame Storm. And it's all about how this country now is constantly in a process of shaming someone to the point sometimes where it actually ruins their lives, to the point where if you just Google them, their name comes up, and oftentimes they can't even get jobs or anything else because of it. And it's not just famous people; it's people who, uh, you know, are are you know making these comments sometimes on on uh, on 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 their Twitter feeds or whatever. Like one woman is uh, Justine Sacco. She's a PR executive and tweeted to 170 Twitter followers. Before getting on a plane to Cape Town, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. 
And it was during the Christmas holidays when news was slow. And so she decided to become, she was the latest person who was going to be shamed and actually was run out of her job and everything else because of that. Now, keep in mind, people do make comments that they ultimately are going to regret. And I get that. But at what point do we stop in this in this? deal where we chase after people to the point where we drive them so far into the ground that they can never recover from from that. Uh, you had the situation where, you know, Kevin Williamson, uh, who is a guy I can't stand either. He's a never Trumper. He's a, he's a vile, disgusting human being and a bad writer on top of that. But he was fired by the Atlantic after there was some audio recording in which he said that abortion is a form of murder and should carry the same punishment, including the death penalty. Well, people ran with that, and, and it was on Twitter, and, uh, and, and, and he wanted to kill women and all this kind of stuff, and suddenly he's fired from the Atlantic. Now, again, I have no, I have no love for Kevin Williamson, but at what point are we going to stop with the with the shaming aspect of this, uh, David Brooks, you all know uh, this David Brooks guy. He's a never Trumper. Also, it just ha- so happens. I'm not just talking about never Trumpers here, but you know, um, David Brooks gets a divorce. Right, he's a columnist in the New York Times, and he's a, a so-called conservative. I don't really have like him. I don't really have much love for him either. But but again, I have love for righteousness and decency. And so David Brooks gets a divorce, and these people all shame him only because David Brooks actually uh, wrote columns about the social value of marriage. So at some point, he talked about the social value, and then he gets a divorce. No one knows why he got a divorce. No one knows anything about what happened in his life. But the mere fact that he got a divorce is enough for people to go and run around and shame him. And so she's listing all these cases where, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh situation where, uh, you know, uh, she points out the New Yorker, not Gawker, not any of these, uh, these hack left-wing websites or anything else, but it was the New Yorker that ran 32 Brett Kavanaugh headlines in 24 hours about him being a horrible human being and everything else. And that's, that's the New Yorker. There was a guy uh, named Jeffrey Corbus, she points out, who committed suicide in a parked car in the East Village of New York, but his name really wasn't Jeffrey Corbus. He had to change it because he was Jeffrey Weglars, and in 2013, at a McDonald's around his home in Connecticut, he threw a sandwich at a pregnant server who'd given him the wrong order. Well, the newspaper coverage of this thing um, covered it to the point where he's a terrible person, which, of course, you are in that moment. If you do something like that, of course you are. But they never talked about Weglar's recent, you know, just this, this kind of background that he had where he was highly stressed and everything else. And, but, but nonetheless, it, did, it, did it really demand coverage in a newspaper of a situation like this to the point where the guy had to actually change his name because of a, of a, uh, of a, of a thing that, that happened. You have uh, Samantha Barbas. Uh, she did a 2015 history of shame and libel 
and, and all these things, a dozen cases where they end in suicides of people. Uh, you know, it's it's gotten to the point now, and, and I've talked about this last week too, where we had the Mark Lamont Hill situation. And Mark Lamont Hill was, uh, was the uh, commentator on CNN. He's a left winger. I have no love for this guy at all. But he gets fired by CNN for comments he makes that are anti-Israel at a UN consortium and, and, and pro-Palestine, right? And he gets fired by CNN, which is, you know, for all of all the talk about how important these broadcast outlets are. Remember when the president attacks CNN, uh, he's he's attacking freedom, right? Because uh, when he attacks Jim Acosta, he's attacking freedom. Because keep in mind, CNN and and all these individuals are so important to our society and an integral part of the our government, an integral part of coverage, and they're they're vital to our American society and cultures, and must not be toyed with or anything else. And then a CNN commentator says something, and instead of discussing it with him on your all-important network or whatever, you fire him. I mean, how is that jiving with your general outlook on things? And, and, and you just told us how important discourse is, and yet you don't bother to have discourse. You instead have a, uh, have a situation where you just fire somebody because you don't like what they said. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Although double standards, as you point out, Jimmy, Mika Brzezinski, who will make these terrible comments about Donald Trump, it's all fine and good. It's not, it's not a big deal. She's a lot, you know, I don't want Mika Brzezinski fired, but I'm, I'm, but, but it's weird how we have this double standard. So anyway, back to this situation with Todd Seavey and uh, Helen Andrews. So they're on this panel and, and this Todd Seavey guy, is um is is on the panel with with Helen Andrews. Now keep in mind that that um uh, that 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 Todd Seavey and Helen dated for two years, right? They're on the same panel, and this Todd Seavey guy, this hard swallowing little weirdo, decides he's going to exact revenge on his former girlfriend on C-SPAN at a panel. You got to see this video to believe it. I, I will say one thing in defense of Will Wilkinson. Uh, <laughs> one, one of the first things I ever heard about uh, Helen uh, was that uh, Will Wilkinson was criticizing her online for saying that uh, it, Helen said we should reject Obamacare in part because it might ameliorate and diminish suffering. And Will pointed out, in a way that I think is very fair, that this is probably going to convince most people to embrace Obamacare. I mean, don't most people want to decrease suffering? Builds character. And, and I, think you'll find, <coughs> I think you'll find a lot of Helen's positions are actually guided by the desire to increase suffering. And I'm, I'm Catholic. <laughs> That might explain. Keep in mind, she's trying to be light about everything. And actually, there is a uh, level of truth uh, in the idea that suffering 
builds character. Uh, and in fact, the romantics, uh, John Keats, the poet, and Oscar Wilde and these individuals all actually did believe that. I mean, it's not, it, you, don't, you, don't, you don't exact suffering on people to teach them. But, 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 the, but the fact of the matter is it's not a crazy idea that somehow people having to struggle builds character. Uh, and, and it might be one of the reasons, uh, one of the defensible reasons for rejecting these just uh, common, crazy welfare programs and just writing checks to people instead of um, instead of uh, helping them actually help themselves. I mean, you know, it's not exactly crazy. The, the, the concept of uh, teaching a man to fish instead of fishing for him. And that's biblical for crying out loud. So it's, it's not an unusual concept, even when you're talking about government programs, to talk about how in- interesting and important it is that sometimes struggling does, in fact, build character and build strength. But keep in mind, she's trying to keep this light, but her former boyfriend, Todd Seavey, is still has this really crazy bitterness about him, and he decides he's going to make this a deal in this little configuration here uh, at the C-SPAN place. And, and it's it's just the weirdest damn thing. Although, I don't know, you, <laughs> you, you start connecting the dots and you realize that, uh, though she sounds like an old-timey, old-fashioned Catholic moralist, she's almost always defending something that most of us would find horrific, whether it's corrupt politicians over reformers, are bar brawlers. Uh, she'll uh, defend, uh, say, Catholic moralists one moment, but defend prostitutes and bad girls the next. Uh, she says she's sort of like a libertarian, but the first thing she wants to repeal, she once said, was the law against assault, so that men get into more fist fights, or at least live under the threat of constant fist fights. And keep in mind, she was being facetious on all these levels. But anyway, her former boyfriend, who really is a disturbed individual, this Todd Seavey guy. So if you ever see him on TV, avoid the dude like the plague. Uh, so he, so, and, and Jonah Goldberg's laughing this whole time. And so, but what happened is, and eventually, is that this commentary about Helen Andrews wound up ruining her career. Helen Andrews, after this guy eviscerated her on C-SPAN, Helen Andrews wound up... uh, Liberal arts. Wound up... Hold on, let me just turn this up. Wound up... uh, Every time somebody would Google her or look her up, this video came up. And Todd Seavey, instead of, instead of it actually blowing back on Todd Seavey to the point where people look at this and going, that guy ought to be in therapy or in jail. He's a disturbed former boyfriend who's on C-SPAN eviscerating his former girlfriend. And they're on the same panel. But anyway, but, but unfortunately for her, it didn't, it didn't work out uh, that Todd Seavey was the one who was the bad guy. It, it worked out that... Uh, she was the one that was ultimately described all over the internet as a as a terrible person. It, it's it's it, this thing is on YouTube, and I'll I'll get it for you uh, eventually here. 
it's on YouTube and and the Washington Post talked about it. Talking Points Memo talked about it. Greg Get- Gutfeld did something about it on his show called Red Eye. It made the evening news on uh, Washington's Fox affiliate. It basically went viral. And, and, and ultimately what happened is when it, it came time when she was looking for a new job and everything else, uh, people were researching her on the internet and found this video that ultimately uh, knocked her out of all kinds of different jobs. She never was asked to be a commentator anymore because everybody thought because of what he said, she was a terrible person. She was because her former boyfriend had a little temper tantrum that was disguised as an intellectual discussion and basically ruined her career. Now, keep in mind, things didn't work out all that great for uh, uh, for uh, for Todd Seavey either, because he he wound up kind of being a uh, a real uh, jerk, but he wound up pretty much unscathed throughout this whole thing. He, he, wound, he wound up actually not really being as destroyed as she was. And so uh, she wound up actually having to, uh, she got married and then moved to, uh, uh, to the, moved to the uh, Australia is where she went to. And and she wound up actually getting a job, but what she had to do was uh, she had to she had to recover from just this one one thing, and it was uh, it was terrible. So she finally wrote an article about this, and 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 and, and put it out on this blog, and it's really fa- I actually emailed her. Uh, and and thanked her for the article, but but the but basically it, it's called shame storm, and, and it's and it's and it's all about how this country now that's what that's the what what is is settles for discourse here, uh, in this country now is simply just shaming people, and and ruining their lives. I mean, and, and you and you look at it on all different levels. I mean, you could see it when when people say terrible things. About uh, 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 about, for instance, Melania Trump. You know, you should see the blowback uh, on on Melania uh, from the interview with Sean Hannity, which was a great interview, by the way. But but but, no matter what she does, she's criticized. People will shame her for wearing high heels on an airplane going to a hurricane scene, even though she actually wound up leaving the airplane in tennis shoes. But that doesn't matter to them. They make her out to be some kind of jerk or whatever. I mean, people, pe- people, uh, but 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 they can get beyond this because they're the first lady and he's the president. And you're going to say these things. But for other less uh, less able people who are are not defended by their companies and corporations and and other things, uh, they're they're you know right there uh, and and. They're in the crosshairs of the shame movement, which is really basically on Twitter and and in other of these ancillary websites like Gawker that used to that is now closed down because it it over it, it kind of overextended itself. 
but it's an interesting article, and I'll post it. I've got to do a. Uh, I've got to go do. Uh, I, I can't get on for any reason my laptop on the Facebook, so I'll have to get it. I'll put it up there on the on the uh, on the Facebook page here for you, and I'll, I'll do uh, Shame Storm for you. I'll check it out. Let me see. Let me see. Helen Andrews Shame Storm. and I'll put I'll put the link on on there for you, and you could you could read it for for yourself. All right, do do do. Hold on, just give me give me a second here, because I didn't actually wasn't prepared. Here it is, right here. It's on first things. Da da da. I'll put the link up there. Copy the link. Copy the link. Copy. Then I Facebook this thing right here for you. Put it right there. Paste. Paste. There it is. Okay, here it is. I'm going to post it for you guys right now. Ready? Coming to you in three, two, and one. There. Good morning this morning. Uh, see how, how fast that operates, you people? I'm telling you. Shame storm. And then you can look it up. Just just Google Todd Seavey and Helen Trittlemeyer, because that was her former name, and, and her maiden name, and then uh, do it that way. Shame storm, people. And even even when they're not shaming real people, they're shaming fake people. That's right, people. They're shaming fake people. Oh, yes, they are. The Washington Post. The Washington Post has an article out. About James Bond. Yeah. You're like, well, what, what do you mean James Bond? He's a movie character. Oh, yeah, no, that doesn't stop the Washington Post. Nor does it stop these individuals who are health experts at the University of Otago in New Zealand. Yes, and they analyzed James Bond films from 1962 to 2015. Yeah, you believe it? And they came to the conclusion that James Bond had a severe chronic alcohol problem. I'm not kidding you. So when the interwebs and our journalists and all the other do-gooders out there haven't had enough of shaming regular people or shaming the president for that matter, they go after characters in movies that actually are not real, but it doesn't matter. This is unbelievable. Listen to what this study says. These people, by the way, are at a university, and they're public health experts, okay? And they spent time uh, and money on investigating James Bond and his drinking in movies, by the way. In movies. And so 
they they decided that they were going to uh, do the study, and then and then they looked at how many, for instance, uh, uh, drinks that he he had while he was uh, in the movies. Okay, so they they came to the conclusion that that uh, he was a chronic alcohol abuser, and they said that chronic risks that he took include frequently drinking prior to fights, driving vehicles, including in chases, high-stakes gambling, operating complex machinery or devices. I'm, people, I'm not making this up, okay? Contact with dangerous animals, extreme athletic performance, and sex with enemies, sometimes with guns or knives in the bed. This is, this is the takedown of James Bond. The study is entitled License to Swill, James Bond's Drinking Over Six Decades. And it won first place in the Medical Journal of Australia's Christmas competition. The study found that the British spy met more than half of the criteria for alcohol use disorder as defined by the American Psychiatric Association's classification system for mental disorders. Keep in mind, this is a study of a fictional character. In, a, in movies and books, for that matter. And, and I'm telling you, they spent time on this, and then, and then uh, the Washington Post did a whole story about this. In one film, Quantum of Solace, Bond consumed at least six Vespers, his concoction consisting of gin, vodka, and a blend of wines called Kina Lillette. Lillette is, a, uh, is like a wine. Sometimes people have Lillette uh, by itself. And actually, Lillette with a little cube of ice sometimes can be a uh, nice little after-dinner apertif or maybe a before-dinner apertif or maybe a late afternoon type of indulgence, if you want to call it that. Lillette's actually uh, pretty interesting. But it's, it's like a wine, but it's not. It's like a fermented thing. And anyway, and actually, this, this drink sounds, a Vesper sounds really good. Gin, vodka, and a blend of wines called Lillette. Although I have to tell you, uh, you got to imagine that, that that's a powerful drink. But it sounds good. I might make one tonight. A Vesper. Gin, vodka, and a blend of wines called Kina Lillette. I have some Lillette. I have some gin. And I have some vodka. I might make a Vesper tonight in honor of James Bond. I'm not going to have six of them. But nonetheless, see, this is what happens. This is what these do-gooders and these really idiot moralists do. They do a study like this. And my takeaway from this is I'm going to have a Vesper. They do a study saying that James Bond is a chronic alcoholic and alcohol abuser. And my takeaway from it is, what did he drink? Because that sounds really good. A Vesper. 
I'm going to write that down. I'll remember that. Remind me to have a Vesper tonight in honor of James Bond and in disdain for this media culture we have and the university culture we have where they, uh, they actually study this whole thing. Lisa, you like, your, you like Kettle One and Mountain Dew, huh? That's pretty scrappy there, Lisa. Kettle One and Mountain Dew. I wonder how, that, pretty, that, that, that sounds like that tastes pretty good. But, uh, okay, so in one film, Quantum of Solace, Bond consumed at least six Vespers. His concoction consisting of gin, vodka, and a blend of wines called Kina Lillette. They say that amount of alcohol, according to the researchers, would have raised Bond's blood alcohol level to an estimated 0.36 grams per deciliter, almost high enough to cause a coma, heart failure, or even death. Now, this is the Quantum of Solace is the, is the, this is the uh, Daniel Craig movie. This is from 2008. You know, I, I'm more of the Roger Moore, uh, James Bond, and, and the other what's his face dude, James Bond. I'm, I'm more from the, I'm more from the Goldfinger age of James Bond. But nonetheless, they they studied the movies going through uh, 1962 to 2015. I actually prefer uh, the the older James Bond movies. But anyway, uh, that's that's this, this is this is by the way, uh, people who work for a university doing this. But that drinking incident in Quantum of Solace, the researchers noted, doesn't even compare with one instance in a Bond book in which 007 consumed 50 units of alcohol in a single day, a level of consumption which would kill nearly anyone and everyone. And and this isn't, by the way, the first time that researchers analyze James Bond's habits. Thank you, Phyllis. It's Sean Connery. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more in that, uh, I'm more in that, that realm there. It's not, but it's not the first time that these individuals analyzed Bond's bad habit. They, they did one in 2013. This was in the British medical journal. Uh, and and they found that 007's alcohol intake put him at a high risk of multiple alcohol-related diseases. It's like he doesn't exist. He's he's a, he's a movie character. So as I pointed out earlier, when I did the whole thing about shame, it's interesting how how when when the media culture and people have had enough of shaming real people, they go after. Fake people. That's how desperate they are to find somebody they can shame and humiliate. And, and so in this case, they've decided to uh, – and, and by the way, it's too bad because uh, you, if you want to shame somebody, shame, shame Maxine Waters, who incites violence as a sitting member of Congress uh, because – Democrats lost an election. If you're going to sh- shame anybody, why are you shaming James Bond when you can go and shame freaking Maxine Waters? I'm not, I'm not into shaming anybody, but you know what I'm saying is it's weird how like they pick on people to a certain level uh, and, and they leave others alone. 
And, and that's the other problem with the whole shame society we live in right now is only certain people get shamed. Other people don't. I don't want anybody to get shamed, but only certain people actually get shamed. And usually they're people like you and me who are conservatives or whatever, but rarely do people on the left get shamed. I mean, the closest they came was Kevin Hart, and, and uh, that's because uh, they, they basically were forced to uh, talk about his old Twitter things. Their home, but, but everybody, it turns out, did it to the point where the Oscars don't actually – they're thinking of doing a hostless Oscars because really, in the end, they can't find anybody that doesn't have some kind of thing in their past that someone's going to crab and bitch about. Maybe that ought to tell them everything they need to know, the fact that they actually decided they're not going to have a host of the Oscars because they can't. Because no one who is capable of being a host uh, is clean enough, apparently, for the rest of society. It's like, when are we going to get over ourselves and stop with this stuff anyway? So when they're, so when they're not focused on, on attacking Real people and humiliating real people, they focus on fake people, and this is uh, James Bond. Uh, in 2002's uh, Die Another Day, uh, they talk about his liver. So they, they're saying, see, we're, we're, this is, you know, uh, this is not, you know, a, a, uh, just our problem. They actually point it out in the movies. I'm not going, um, What? And here's the deal. The study also decided they were going to offer suggestions to James Bond. Again, a person who doesn't exist. They're going to offer suggestions to James Bond. So uh, here, they offered some suggestions to help minimize James Bond's risks in the short term. By the way, they are dead serious about this. This is not like a spoof. This is not like an onion piece. This is actually a study conducted by public health experts at a university in New Zealand. Okay? By health experts in New Zealand. And it's the second time it's been done in the past six years. The British did it too. So here's what they offered as suggestions to help James Bond minimize his risks in the short term. Avoid alcohol on the job, especially when taking on complex tasks, including aerial combat in helicopter gunships and deactivation of nuclear weapons, which are best done with a zero blood alcohol level. I'm... I'm Uh, this is real. Avoid drinking with sexual partners who may want to disable, capture, or kill him. That's the suggestion for James Bond, the public. The the public health experts, uh, I guess, realizing that they basically are wasting time and doing ludicrous, ludicrous things like analyzing James Bond's alcohol intake, decided they were going to try to have some payoff for everybody, for James Bond. That, and that's always been actually uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things that journalists do it, to legitimize their ridiculous reporting is they, they wind up uh, 
uh, they wind up actually offering tips, you know. So here are some tips on how to avoid blah, blah, blah. It's always the tips thing. I've been in newsrooms my whole life, people, and I know that's how things operate. They want to do something really stupid and innocuous, but as long as, you know, the news director or the producer says, uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, what's the payoff? We need to have some tips in there. There, Here it is. Uh, uh, Find other interests, they say, for James Bond. Right. So, so they're telling James Bond to find other interests. Well, if James Bond found other interests, he wouldn't be James Bond. I, am I right or am I wrong here? His nascent interest in uh, lepidopterology, the study of moths and butterflies, revealed when commenting expertly on M's collection. So, for instance, they're saying that, that, that um, he, he should study moths and butterflies instead of doing what he's doing. They also had a suggestion for Bond's boss, M. Is it MI6? Yeah. Uh, Bond's workplace should be a more responsible employer by referring him to work funded counseling or psychiatric support services for managing his alcohol use disorder, according to the study. These services should also determine whether he has any post-traumatic stress after killing so many people and having been tortured so often. This is real. Do you want to see it? Well, since I'm I'm on a tear here, right? Uh, Let me just I'll, I'll 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 find it for you and I'll put it in the comments section here. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Oh Lord, do do da 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 James Bond, uh, Bond, James Bond. Let me find the thing for you here. I put Washington pissed in there. <laughs> well, rightly so. Da 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 da. What a great guitar play there. Look at Dick Dale. Sounds like Dick Dale, people. You guys know Dick Dale, don't you? I just put it in there. I'm getting pretty good at this, aren't I? Putting that stuff in there, aren't I? I'm getting pretty damn good at it. Putting links in my Facebook page. That's what I do. Do do do. What I did that, You guys know Dick Dale, right? Let me play you some Dick Dale, and then I'm going to get on to some other stuff here. Dick Dale is the person who um, managed to. Uh, Make legend the surf guitar. Ah, the surf sound. Have you guys, uh, I wonder if, um, I wonder if, uh, Dick Dale is, is he still alive or is he touring or what is he doing? I don't know. Zach, do you know what Dick Dale's all about? I don't know. You're a music guy. Is he still alive? 
Yeah, he's. I think Dick Dale was actually, I think, in uh, in St. Louis not too long ago. I thought, but yeah, Dick Dale's surf guitar. You also know his music, right? Sound familiar to you? Yeah, you know the movie, don't you? It's called Pulp Fiction. And it's all called Miser Lou, and that's Dick Dale. I'd love to know who actually is on that. Uh, I'd love to know who's on that James Bond thing I just played. I mean, actually, the guitar itself isn't, like, unusual or anything. Uh, The the guitar sound, the the Dick Dale guitar sound. I'd like to uh, investigate that further, and I will. I liked uh, Pulp Fiction. Did you guys like that movie? This is the uh, this is the dance that they did in the movie. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find that song again to see what I could. I'm gonna do a little investigation. I don't know where that is. I just I just. I just I thought I found it, but I, I guess I didn't. Sounds like his guitar, though. Yeah, it, it, Bill, it is a great movie, man. Pulp Fiction. If you can get through the one like torture scene in the bike shot, the bike, the biker thing, that's pretty crazy. Dick Dale, man, come on! You gotta love some Dick Dale. Yeah, Linda. So, okay, so now listen. You just listen to that and. Let me just see if there's a little bit of the, the guitar part here. I'm sure that's just some other dude. I bet you if I looked it up, uh, I'm going to just do, uh, hold on a second here, then I'm going to get to something else. Hold on. Heck, Dale, James Bond. And see if there's any 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 connection. Uh, James Bond theme tab by Dick Dale. Learn to play chord by chord. The tabs used. Uh, it, it's. Uh, I think that I think that was Dick Dale. Because everywhere I, whenever I, whenever I look into this, and I, uh, when I put Dick Dale and James Bond in the same search engine, the first thing that comes up is, uh, is Dick Dale teaching you the chords. Let me just see here, if you don't mind. This is kind of what I do. I mean, I love I love doing this stuff and getting to the bottom of things. Let me see here. 
let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think if he actually did. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure this out uh, and if he did or not, if he didn't. But, uh, but I think that he, uh, discography, let's see. Uh, 62, Surface Choice, King of the Surf Guitar. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't, uh, I can't. He did a Let's Go Trippin', which is great. Miser Lou. Uh, but Dick Dale actually is, so he's on the web, and he'll show you how to do the chords for this. Hold on, let me see. Uh, uh, Dick Dale's, I, I, so I'm pretty sure, I bet, you, I bet you he did it, but he'll teach you how to do it. Here, he'll, he'll, he'll uh, show you how to do it. In in the in the tab here, but now I'm getting pop ups and stuff, so I'm I'm gonna be uh, uh, now I'm gonna be screwed here. Mm-hmm. I keep they keep putting me to Amazon. I don't know what that why that why that is, but anyway, check it out. All right, all right, we've we've James bonded enough. One of the uh, things that people do now is the difference between shaming and joking, right? And and I have to admit. That when the uh, when CBS decided they were going to do a little bit about that really amazing meeting that took place in the Oval Office, that I thought was just uh, incredible. A lot of you noticed the behavior, the comportment, the attitude, the the body language of uh, Vice President Pence. And we kind of laughed about it because, you know, listen, it, to, sometimes, uh, you know, it, but it depends on, it's funny uh, if you mean it to be funny and, and not so funny if you mean it to be disparaging. So I'll give you an example. So CBS decides they're going to do a breakdown of what was going on uh, there. And 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 Nora O'Donnell decides. Like for instance, it it to me, if you described when you when you look at Mike Pence, when you look at a freeze frame of the Oval Office meeting, and you look at Mike Pence, uh, it is uh, it is interesting because like if you and me said he looks like the Elf on the Shelf, that would be funny because it actually is funny. Because, you know, let's put it this way. Uh, most people, especially women, they think Mike Pence is a little cutie pie, you know? He's, just, he's, just a, he's, a, he's like the nicest guy in the world, first of all. You know, he, he, he's uh, a good-looking old, older guy, you know? And he's, and he's, uh, he, he's obviously a very uh, well-put-together type of person who... Uh, one time, his biggest. Remember when he? Interesting enough. Remember when he had a? Uh, he said that he does not have dinner as a married man with women, whether they be married or single or whatever. He doesn't have dinner alone with women as a matter of his personal policy. Now, keep in mind. Do you know what? Ha- do you remember what happened when Mike Pence? said that that's how he operates and how he's always operated uh, is he's never alone with a woman, right? I, I think that was it. I, I might be, I might be uh, 
you know, paraphrasing it a little too too loosely, but but you get my drift here. He he he's a guy who is very you know you know he's I'm a married dude. I'm not. I don't have dinner with single women or married women. I don't do that, uh, and I'm never alone with with them. Okay, so do you remember what happened when Mike Pence said that publicly? He was derided and shamed for it. You remember that, right? By, by the same people who now are the Me Tooers, the, the Me Too movement people. The, the, the same people who are, the, uh, who are disparaging and, 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 and saying they're all victims and this and they're doing that and doing that. Uh, the, the same people derided him for doing the exact thing that would have avoided and does avoid the situations that we're seeing right now reflected in the Me Too movement. But no, Mike Pence is, he's crazy. He's, you know, he's, he's bad. He's terrible. He's this, he's that. And, and, uh, and so he, uh, he, but, but yet it's Mike Pence who be the one guy who's never going to be accused of anything because he never puts himself in a position where he might be accused of something. He never puts himself in possibly compromising situations where he might actually uh, uh, see a problem or be accused of something or, or, or whatever. Never does that. And Linda points out, yeah, Mike Pence is looking pretty smart now. You're right. But back in the day, he was derided for saying that. So anyway, so for, for those of us who... Uh, and even yesterday, we were like, you know, people you know, like Mike Pence looked uncomfortable. And I said yesterday, I go, Mike Pence always looks uncomfortable because he's he's a guy who is a very uh, solid, straightforward kind of, you know, uh, conservative guy just in his demeanor and everything else. That's just what he does. You know, sits up straight, stands up straight. You know, I'm, I, I remember interviewing him and he was in town at one point. Um Remember interviewing him, and he's uh, just a straight arrow, man. That's just how Mike Pence is, and and you know it's nothing to make fun of. It's just something that that defines him. So anyway, if if you and I looked at that picture of the Oval Office awesomeness and said that Mike Pence kind of looked like the elf on the shelf, that'd be funny because we meant it to be funny because it was funny because we actually like him. And so, yeah, I mean, if somebody said that I was sitting a certain way, I look like the elf on the shelf, I think that would be funny. But, not, but CBS decides they're actually going to use it as a point of derision, which is, you know, crazy. And just a reminder, the president controls and his party controls Congress. It's all Republican controlled at this current point. Right. They can solve this shutdown thing quickly. Pretty easily. I don't know how that public conversation was good for anybody to see on either side. Mm-hmm. It, I felt very uncomfortable watching it. Yeah. So did Mike Pence. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, Mike Pence looked very Someone good. said that he looked like the elf on the shelf sitting there. Yes. So, you know, obviously they were laughing. But 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 keep in mind this was this was a this was a point of derision for Nora O'Donnell, and I love how Gail King's like I felt uncomfortable watching that. It's like too damn bad, girl. Suck it up. I felt uncomfortable watching that. 
I felt uncomfortable watching that. His party controls Congress. It's all Republican-controlled at this current point. Right. They can solve this shutdown thing quickly. Pretty easily. I don't know how that public conversation was good for anybody to see on either side. Mm -hmm. I felt very uncomfortable watching it. Oh, shush, baby. Goodness gracious. I felt very uncomfortable watching it. Here's a woman who, who... She's a journalist, by the way, right? Isn't she the anchor at CBS right there on the morning show? I know she's, you know, kind of Oprah's, uh, Oprah's girl and everything else. These are the same people who, who uh, demand transparency and, and, and want things out in the open. And they want this and want that. And then at the same time, they go on TV and bitch about the fact that things are too open. Uh, I, I want openness, but that was too open for me. I'm sorry, honey. It's like... Really? I mean, I, at, at some point, it's like, what, do you, what is it that you want? You know, it's kind of yesterday when I talked about Nancy Pelosi, who, who, uh, who didn't, like, I don't think we should have this discussion in front of the press. Like, the press is a bunch of, like, they're a bunch of dogs. When about a week earlier, when President Trump was attacking Jim Acosta and talking about fake news, we shouldn't say that about the media. They're an integral part of society. Without the media, we would not have a republic. They're, it's all about freedom and everything else until, of course, you're being on, on a TV camera talking. Then uh, in, out in the open in a transparent situation that is preventing you from lying in the aftermath, not, then you don't want the press around. Then you don't. Then the media's not so convenient, is it now? And 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 Gail King, you know, I felt uncomfortable watching because she would rather have you know uh, everybody behind closed doors, you know. At this current point, right? They can solve this shutdown thing quickly, pretty easily. I don't know how that public conversation was good for anybody to see on either side. Mm -hmm. I felt very uncomfortable watching it. Yeah. Now you know why. American politics has sucked for the past 25, 30 years and why regular Americans who came out and revolted in November 2016 uh, were screwed for 25, 30 years. And it's because people like Gail King didn't demand transparency and openness from their politicians. They liked things the way they were. They like things where you could have closed-door meetings and then the opposition party could come out and lie about what happened behind closed doors and the person who hosted the meeting would spend the rest of the day uh, denying everything. And that's the media was more than happy to have life just kind of go along that way where we didn't demand any accountability from ever, anybody. Gail King liked it when, when people just... I don't know how that public conversation was good for anybody to see on either side. It, I felt very uncomfortable watching it. Yeah, and again, boo-hoo, girl. But, but again, why would anybody feel uncomfortable watching that? It was awesome. And, and you know what? If you're a Democrat and you love Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, you're probably cheering them. Some people were. I, I heard them, you know, wow, they really stood up to the president. You can take that away from that if you want to. And those of us who love Trump love the fact that he was, uh, he was so humiliating to them and, and, and how he basically just had them wrapped around his finger. I mean, it was just crazy. It was kind of like, uh, you know, um, <laughs> if you take like a, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think I've seen this before where you have like a, a dog or 
whatever, like a little puppy dog or something, and you're holding up a, a little dog treat, and if and if you hold up the dog treat in the air, and, and you and you make a circle out of it, the dog will go into a circle, and you keep making the circle, and the dog will keep making a, going in circles because the dog wants that dog biscuit, and you just keep holding that thing up there. I'm not I'm not much of a dog teaser. I don't have a dog. I don't I don't try to drive dogs crazy either. But I'm just saying that if you had the had the old treat and you kind of made it go round and round and round, you could get a dog to kind of go round and round and round. That's what that whole meeting was. It was Donald Trump holding up the dog biscuit so the little doggies named Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi could kind of circle around his uh, upper hand. It was great. I loved it. And, and Gail King didn't like it for that very reason. But she's claiming that it didn't really, no, no, I, I don't think that really worked out for anybody. No, no, you're wrong, Gail. It worked out perfectly for Donald Trump, to tell you the truth. It was, it was amazing. And it's funny how pe- members of the media really didn't like that. And you'd think that they would have loved it. Like, this is open, out in the open, blah, blah, But a lot of the commentators in the media didn't like that. And you, can, and, and you know why, right? You know, you know, because, of course, they didn't like it because it exposed Chuck Schumer and it exposed Nancy Pelosi as a bunch of inept and, 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 and non-transparent individuals. I mean, Chuck Schumer came to that meeting. You realize Chuck Schumer is the minority leader in the United States Senate. And he came to a meeting with Donald Trump armed with what? A Washington Post article about Pinocchios. That's, that's the extent of Chuck Schumer's representation of the Democrat Party. Is he came to a meeting with the President of the United States and his biggest bullet was a Washington Post article about Pinocchios. The Washington Post gave you four Pinocchios. It's, and, and Trump is like, bite me. You know? Here, ch- keep chasing after this, uh, after this begging stick or whatever they call them. Begging strip. Hey, Chuck, I'm holding up this begging strip. Keep, keep going around in circles. Loved it. But yeah, Gail King and the commentators, they did not, uh, that, that's, that's the name of a great band too, Gail King and the commentators. They, they, uh, they did not like to have that, uh, that thing in front of everybody. Uh, but now keep in mind, uh, they love Nancy Pelosi because they think that she's so, uh, so amazing. And, and, and yeah, so some people obviously thought it was a, uh, thought it was a great, appearance for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and more power to you if you do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. So not everybody didn't, uh, uh, was uncomfortable. Like Jeannie Mose, who is, uh, there at CNN, God, Jeannie Mose must be a hundred years old and watching her for forever, but everybody kind of loved Nancy Pelosi. And listen, uh, I, that's your prerogative. You can, you can love what she did, but, uh, we, uh, we had fun with the president on that one. We loved it. But they, CNN thought it was groovy that Nancy Pelosi had. Uh... New tonight, Nancy Pelosi's star power. Here's Jean. <laughs> okay. 
At that now famous Oval Office meeting. You should not have a Trump shutdown. Uh, you have so, the, so they did a whole story about how awesome Nancy Pelosi was in this meeting and how she threw shade at Trump. And even yesterday I said, you know, uh, more power to her uh, in terms of her uh, her getting in there. I mean, uh, there's no doubt and no question that Nancy Pelosi is just scrapper. And, you, and I like that. I like that about – I like it when women, men, I like it when they're scrappers, you know? I, I thought I, I had a totally different takeaway than Jeannie Most did and CNN did. But what, do you, what did you think they were going to do? Laud President Trump? No, of course not. They're going to laud the people they vote for. There was a lot of shade thrown, but when Nancy Pelosi put on shades for exactly five seconds, that became the moment her fans immortalized. Unbelievable. So what Nancy Pelosi did when she left the uh, Oval Office meeting with Chuck Schumer and, and walked down that driveway that they normally walk down and, and, and stand in front of microphones and lie about what happened behind closed doors, she put on... Uh, sunglasses for about five seconds. So she comes out of the Oval Office, puts the sunglasses on, then takes them off, and the media just went crazy. All of her fans did too. Can you imagine? Exactly five seconds. There's a lot of shade thrown, but when Nancy Pelosi put on shades for exactly five seconds, that became the moment her fans immortalized. Pelosi like a rock star. That look when you jump- I think it's funny, just the words fans and immortalized in collection with Nancy Pelosi is comical, but knock yourselves out, people. I finished manhandling a man baby, the new power suit for women, red coats, sunglasses, nerves of steel. Yeah, right. Uh, Melania Trump can put on a red coat and sunglasses and she'll be mocked and derided. Won't she now? But now Nancy Pelosi, I'm sorry, but I'm not, I'm not buying into Nancy Pelosi uh, being a fashion star. Listen, I, I, I give her all the credit in the world for getting in there and getting in, but uh, you know, this is a little, little much. Okay. I mean, it, it, I think, I think you're, you're taking this a little too far with Nancy Pelosi. You know what I mean? They're really stretching this. For a politician who almost saw her position as House Speaker to be blown up, it must be sweet to be compared to the cool dude in CSI Miami. Unbelievable. I mean, this, again, you know, uh, I, I have to admire... Your ingenuity here, CNN and Jeannie Mose. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. Uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, who did who did that? Oh, Melissa. That Elsa Clench. Oh Lord, I remember Elsa Clench. She was the fashion person, right? At uh, in the eighties, Elsa Clench. But yeah, listen. <laughs> You you have to admire the ingenuity and the creativity of Jeannie Moss and CNN. I mean, if it doesn't if 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 it doesn't make you cry, it ought to make you laugh because this is 
definitely an example of uh, of putting a square peg in a round hole. They they actually managed to, to to put a square peg in a round hole by positioning Nancy Pelosi as a rock star. This is. I, you you, 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 you got to You got to give it to her. Finished manhandling a man, baby. The new power suit for women: red coats, sunglasses, nerves of steel. For a politician <laughs> who almost saw her position as House Speaker to be blown up, it must be sweet to be compared to the cool dude in CSI Miami. You know, you have to. I, I, because I just don't live in that world. I, I have to think that it must be really cute to be able to watch Nancy Pelosi do all this and make these kinds of connections. I mean, you talk about, you talk about fangirls. Wow. This is really something. Through cold water, when you're getting excited by Nancy Pelosi putting on sunglasses, you need to take a deep breath and maybe look in the mirror. Uh, you're damn right. And 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 credit to Jeannie Most for actually uh, putting that in her story because that's the best part of the story because it's uh, it's you know it's very true. It's the one truth in this one minute and thirty eight second piece. Tell that to whoever made Pelosi gangsta by adding Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Oh, Lord. Now, I don't know whether you guys have, uh, I don't know whether you guys have ever seen the thug life bits on the internet. Normally, the thug life bits are reserved for, well, actually, President Trump because President Trump is a guy who always is able to kind of uh, humiliate somebody right in the, in the, uh, at the moment. But they, I, I think this is an abuse of thug life. Tell you the truth. This, this is a, uh, this is the thug life is a, is a great bit. If you look at it and, and you see it on, uh, on the internet, if you look up thug life, uh, but this is a little much. I believe this is a, an abuse of thug life. Other sunglass-wearing women who went viral, like Hillary and Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men. So, so they think that Hillary Clinton looking at her BlackBerry in those sunglasses is a uh, is is a like a cool thing. They thought that was cool. I mean, did I miss and something women here? Who went viral, like Hillary and Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men, at the meeting. They they just compared Hillary to that chick from Mad Men. That's crazy. I mean, you guys are like living in a uh, in a in a color form world <laughs> where you're where you're putting on you're putting like beautiful clothes and beautiful things uh, on uh, on. I I don't know. Lipstick on a pig is another analogy I can. I can put together. I'm not calling them pigs. I'm just saying, but I'm using the analogy lipstick on a pig. But boy, it's kind of like it's like they're they're playing dress up there on CNN. 
Look at Nancy Pelosi, how sexy she is. Like, what? President Trump, Nancy didn't chuck the two leaders to death. Nancy, Chuck, Nancy. We Will you have walls, Chuck, Nancy? I'd have it passed in two seconds. The last now, that, that's where, that's actually the thug life moment. That's where they ought to put the sunglasses on, uh, on President Trump. Nancy, I need ten votes from Chuck. But why waste time with two separate names when you can combine them into one? Nanchuck. That's cheaty Moose. You guys met, you mentioned Melissa Elsa Clench. Man, you guys have some references. Because I, I, that, you, you, you sound like me. Here, Elsa Clench. She was always, um, she was always, she, she's not dead, is she? No, she's 85, though. Here, let me find her. Elsa Clench. She was on, um, she was on uh, CNN back in the day. Let me just see if I can find uh, uh, her. She's 85. Wow. Let's see. Style with Elsa Clinch. Uh, uh, Elsa, uh, let's see uh, here. Just, I think this, this might be one. It's weird they had a fashion reporter on CNN, though. Small head with a sleek, sculptured hairstyle is the look that goes with the French fall fashion. Romance, who does the hair for 10 of the major fashion designer shows in Paris, says hair has rarely been more sophisticated. This is from 1987, as you can tell. Isn't it? Oh, oh, oh. Designers he works with include Sonia Ricciel. Did I like Julia Child? Why the is the design director of the Patrick Arles Salon in Paris. He works with each designer. Extra going to do a souffle. Listen to this porn music, 70s porn music behind a 1987 Elsa. So they so they actually did do like they did fashion reporting style with Elsa Clench. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate that uh, that very much. Style with Elsa Clench coming up. You see on MSNBC this one. This is where uh, these guys. Uh, you talk about. Uh, Jumping the shark or overextending yourself. So MSNBC has uh, a couple of guests on there. Uh, legal analyst Glenn Kirshner. Uh, and, and then you had a, uh, 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 a contributor named Natasha Bertrand. She's from the Atlantic. And... They're talking about impeachment, of course. Uh, after Cohen got a uh, got a, got got a light sentence, three years, by the way. And as I said earlier, uh, this this particular uh, situation regarding uh, regarding the investigation, uh, Mueller investigation, he basically has walked into a room looking for. Like um like the 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 jewel of the Nile or whatever it is, you know, like like the the stone. What do they call that? The uh, whatever, or or let's put it this way. I'll use another example or analogy. It's uh, like you know Capone's vault, except he's finding a little more than Geraldo found with Capone's vault, but not much. 
He went in looking for something major and just found a bunch of scattering roaches in the form of Cohen and Manafort and maybe a couple other people out there. And then in order to get actually somebody of any stature like General Flynn, he had to threaten him and 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 try to bankrupt him and threaten to uh, go after his son. That's that, that's the only way they got a, they managed to get a a guilty plea to something he didn't do was basically by threatening. So the biggest fish they got that Mueller has gotten is a General Flynn. And even getting that biggest fish, he basically had to shoot it as opposed to fish for it. He had to, he had to, it's like when you go fishing and if you ever had the idea and you saw like something on the top of the water and you pull out your 38 instead of trying to hook a worm on a hook and, and get it. That's what Mueller did with General Flynn. So he threatened him, bankrupted him, threatened him uh, to, to, uh, put his son in jail, and so Flynn wound up pleading guilty to something he didn't do, which is kind of a uh, which is kind of a shame. But he did. But that's the biggest fish uh, Mueller got has gotten so far. Manafort and all these small ballers like Cohen and those guys. Uh, he has nothing, and yet everybody now decided they were going to take the the sentencing of Cohen and turn it into discussions of impeachment. Uh, you heard Maxine Waters. I played her earlier. And this one is uh, Natasha Bertrand with The Atlantic. Donald Trump says that if he's impeached over something like this, there will be a revolt. Now, I don't know what metaphor level we take this to. Does he mean pitchforks coming into Washington? Does he mean the tanks? No, we don't. We don't. uh, Chris, we don't do violence. I just want to let you know. Uh, We're not Banana Republic, Maxine Waters. We don't sick people on other people we don't uh we don't promote violence we don't hit people with bike locks we don't burn things when an election doesn't go our way and we don't attack people outside of political rallies we're not uh we're not uh, the we're not rwanda we are the united states of america and well actually uh we as conservatives and common sense conservatives aren't rwanda you all are because you're a bunch of savage, violent, civil unrest promoting losers. That's what you on the left do. You, when you revolt, you actually physically attack people. We're not the pitchfork types, Chris. We go to the ballot box and we revolt that way. In fact, not sure whether you noticed or not, but that was a pretty big revolt in November of 2016, wasn't it? How did you like that revolt? Well, you guys didn't like it at all. In fact, uh, I think old girl took on a little bit of Elvis, and, and she might as well have shot her TV. She wasn't too happy about that turnout, was she now? Uh, you, as you could see, I mean, she wasn't happy. And you guys have spent the last two years bitching and moaning and falling on the ground like pro soccer players hoping for a red card but for the, for the opponent, but you didn't get it. 
So you keep writhing around on the ground and pounding your fists onto the floor. And, you know, this has been one big two-year temper tantrum for all of you. So it's interesting, the idea... That that the left and Maxine Waters said it earlier. I played that, uh, and and while and Chris Matthews says it now. It's interesting that the left talks about how they're afraid that we're going to commit acts of violence when the only people who have been violent so far have been people on the left. The, you know, uh, let's see. The, the who was the one? Who was the one that uh, drove in his van? to shoot a bunch of Republicans playing baseball. It was a Bernie bro, right? Oh, yeah, it was a person on the left. Who was hitting people over the head with bike locks? Who is egging and attacking people outside political rallies? Who actually is openly encouraging people to confront people at gasoline stations and in restaurants and that kind of thing? There are people on the left. Conservatives, those of us... We go to the ballot box and we get you that way. Because first of all, attacking you with pitchforks is is a waste of a pitchfork. And I wouldn't want to damage my pitchfork. And and, and I wouldn't want to soil my pitchfork with the blood of a left winger. I'll go to the ballot box and take care of it that way. That's how we do it. And we did it in November of 2016. And anything that happens to President Trump in terms of an impeachment or whatever, uh, we're going to go to the ballot box again, and we're going to push your head underwater further. That's how we do it. We do it with action that's positive and actually action that is complete and thorough and that's why you're so mad, by the way. Just go back in time and figure out why. Let's see. I'm Chris Matthews. Why am, have I been so pissed off for the past two years? Well, because you saw a revolt at the ballot box. That's how we do it. Just letting you know. Okay, I think I made my point. Be ready to meet the people. But he said, says that if he's impeached over something like this, there will be a revolt. Now, I don't know what metaphor level we take this to. Does he mean pitchforks coming into Washington? Does he mean the tanks have to be ready to meet the people? But he said... Uh, You mean like Tiananmen Square or whatever? I mean, the only time that we actually ever needed tanks is when all of your left-wing minions were attacking people outside of political rallies and, and acting in your Banana Republic third world fashion. That, that's when we could have used a few tanks and rubber bullets and everything else, but instead we, we took it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you can say that's stirring up real trouble in this country. What do you make of it? It sounds like a dog whistle. I mean, it sounds like he's appealing to his supporters saying, look. Oh, look, uh, um, Natasha Bertrand learned the phrase dog whistle. She's very proud of herself. Getting impeached. It's not legitimate. It's a move by the deep state to remove me, your democratically elected leader, even though now we're learning that that may not be the case because he, he severely uh, limited voters' knowledge during the election. No, he didn't severely limit voters' knowledge during the election. We had a lot of information going into November of 2016. And I'm not quite sure whether you just still can't get over the idea 
that old girl was a terrible candidate. She was a horrible candidate and remains a horrible woman in the aftermath of it. She has no class and she has no dignity and is a sore loser. And she and and so even 2 years after they still can't accept the fact that they lost an election. They they still can't accept the fact that they legitimately lost an election. We we've already been through the folks who have have shown that they uh for instance uh that they say well he, he she got more uh popular votes than 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 President Trump did. I'm like, "Yeah, but that's not how our election system works. That's not how our electoral college works. We actually, we actually are in a situation where we have an electoral college and we don't have majority rule in this country. We, have, we are a representative republic. That's how things work. So that, but the people who are upset about the election always kind of double back. That, that, that's actually, they finally kind of have given up on the whole, yeah, but she got the popular vote thing. They finally kind of given up on that. But now they're going to the fact that now we just didn't, the Americans didn't have enough information because the president didn't, uh, didn't, didn't, was shielding it. I don't even know what, what this woman's talking about. Um, and may or may not have worked with the Russians. Um, but I think that it was definitely a signal to his base saying, this is what you guys should do. You should be up in arms, figuratively, not necessarily literally, if I, if the Democrats in the House move to impeach me. Okay? Yeah, well, what's wrong with that? And at least, at least get, I'll give Natasha credit. She didn't uh, go, go the direction of President Trump literally asking people to take up arms. I mean, the president isn't Maxine Waters. After all, who actually uh, didn't use a dog whistle. She used a megaphone if you want to, you know, keep the analogy going. I don't think at this point the Democrats will do that because they have signaled that they would not do it if they did not think that the Senate would remove him. Um, But I I don't think there's any other way that you can slice it. I think that Donald Trump was clearly sending a dog whistle there. Yeah. Uh, No. Uh, We again, uh, President Trump knows what a revolt is, and a revolt is a uh, – oh, uh, John, you're talking about a bad time with the stream. Here's the deal. Um, if you uh, – d- uh, John, if, it depends on what kind of phone you have. We should have the uh, 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 the updates on the Android are available right now. So if you go – if you're on Android and you go uh, hit your update button – for I, I forgot to tell you about this for uh, the Radio Free Almond app, okay. So so hit the update button. We should have the the actual uh, iPhone and the Apple app. I think is probably updatable now. Now, John, do you have an Android or do you have a, a an iPhone? If you have an Android, that app is absolutely available. Um, and so you can go there and update it that way, uh, and and uh, and if you have Apple, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, it's it's available. Uh, Ryan's supposed to be putting up something on on a, uh, um, you know, putting something up on a uh, a uh, 
on the web at some point. Um, let me just let me text Ryan. Uh, update level yet. I want to make sure you guys know that I didn't. I forgot to tell you uh, about the Android app. Um, yeah. So you could go to the if you go to Google. I don't know. I don't know how Android works necessarily when you do an app, but if you go there, you can you can uh, you can go ahead and uh, and download the update for the app. What what, what they did was with the Radio Free Elman app on both the Google uh, and, and Apple, they updated it. There were some updates that were needed to be done, and so those of you uh, I think maybe on Apple by now ought to be uh, ready to rock in terms of the. Uh, uh, in terms of the update, Ryan had told me earlier, like it was three days. It was about three days ago that they had this thing available. So, and, and sometimes it depends on your phone too. If you have an older phone, sometimes the things don't don't work as well uh, as they do on a newer phone. But we should have the app available on the Android. That's for sure, updatable uh, for your Android and for your iPhone. Pretty sure, at least at least coming even by tomorrow, we're going to see. Uh, uh, webstream using your browser. Okay. Oh, you're you're actually on a uh, on a laptop. Um, I don't know. I I, I I I um. Yeah, Emily doesn't have any problems with the with the stream or whatever. So I I don't really know. But I'm, I'm but I'm, if you have a phone and you have the app, then then those are all uh, those are all updatable. Uh, for you, just just in case, uh, just if you if you if you don't know that already, uh, we do we do have that uh, those updates available. So the stream ought to be working, screaming for you, uh, at least by the end of the week. Even if you are on um, uh, on the on that, so I just want to let you know. Uh, yeah, here we go. All right, so uh, we've talked about immigration. Jim Carafano just texted me, by the way. Um, no problem in my home or on Apple iPhone. Okay, Melissa, good for you on Apple Six, huh? So that's good. All right. Um, perfect. All right. Well, I, I guess it just kind of depends on your phone then. So uh, sorry about that. Just uh, letting you know. By the way, speaking of phones, how about giving Matthew Mitchell, the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency, a call? 855-QUOTE-ME is the number. 855-QUOTE-ME is a telephone number. And uh, he will give you low premiums, low deductibles, uh, all at the same time. And that's what's amazing about uh, about Matthew Mitchell. He's my insurance agent. He's not only my car insurance agent, my home insurance agent. He's also my life insurance agent. So I want to make sure you give him a call at 855-QUOTE-ME. And also, thinking of, uh, of the web, nhq.rocks. How about that website? That's... Uh, my guy, Ricky Hall, who's a veteran, Air Force veteran, and it is veteran-owned. And for all of your needs when it comes to uh, supplements, pre-workouts, post-workouts, or uh, perhaps you uh, want some weight loss uh, tools for you, uh, maybe you want uh, some really great protein-rich meals, uh, you want to start eating more healthy, you can get all of that at Nutrition HQ. NHQ.rocks is the uh, is the is the website, but it's also there uh, in uh, store level in Rock Hill at Manchester and McKnight. So make sure you check that out. And I love the guy, and he has also uh, a, a very interesting uh, uh, mechanism that is going to give you uh, to 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 give you a lean body 
and also to boost up your hormones at the same time. So he's got, for the guys, he's got winoline and virilitat. And for the ladies, he's got similarly, but just for ladies. So uh, check that out uh, as well, because a lot of people just don't have a, um, a kind of uh, – the, the, you know, time, especially during the holidays, to be working out. Actually, you're you're actually maybe even eating more and drinking more and doing all that kind of stuff. And so, if you want to try to balance it out, he can help you through the holidays as well. All right. So we have uh, the big issue, you know, with with the president. You know, the, the, they 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 hate it when the president suggested that he would close the border, right? And he and he didn't want he didn't want to, um, you know, didn't want to. He's a he's a, a xenophobe and a terrible person. Even though the border actually has been closed, uh, even by Barack Obama, uh, Barack Obama closed the border at one point. That was after a, uh, a border agent was was killed. Uh, and, and yeah, he closed the border. And President Trump says, "I'll close the border too." Now check this out: the Mexican government not only has increased the their cooperation with us on our southern border, but they're desiring to attack illegal immigration right at its source. So we've got this uh, announcement out of Mexico City saying that they're going to uh, they're going to shut off the flow of migrants and caravans by cracking down on their own southern border with, for instance, Guatemala. Listen to this. Mexico's top security official says the government will effectively close off illegal entry at its southern border with Guatemala. That's pretty that's that's a pretty big step in terms of cooperation uh, from Mexico. The interior secretary there says Mexico will end the practice of undocumented or illegal crossing over the river down there which marks much of the border between Guatemala and, uh, and, and Mexico. And, uh, and, and so in the south, there's going to be only one point of entry, and that's going to be on, uh, on the bridge. So it's going to be right there. So in the south, and there's only one entry there, and it's going to be actually on the bridge. So uh, this is the Mexican government basically saying, anyone who wants to enter illegally, we're going to say, get in line, and then you can enter our country. We'll go ahead and process you the normal way. That's Mexico. Now, keep in mind, as I pointed out before, Mexico is uh, a uh, you know is a country that has such tough immigration laws that if the United States ever adopted Mexico's immigration laws. <laughs> You think we're called xenophobes now? Just imagine what would happen if the uh, if we adopted Mexico's immigration standards. Mexico, you can only become a citizen of Mexico, and 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 even if you're in Guatemala, they say get in line, you can enter our country legally. If you're Guatemalan and you want to come and be a legal immigrant in Mexico, you have to be able to provide proof that you have money. And that you're going to contribute to society, that you're going to that you're going to actually benefit Mexican society. I don't know how they they ask for proof of that. I don't know how they they do all that, but you have to actually provide proof that you're going to be a good citizen, which is something we really don't do here. 
uh, as long and, and and I'm not saying we we have to do that. But I mean, we we go through the process. People who go through the process of legal immigration go through all kinds of uh, uh, loops to try to get here. Uh, and so if you're a legal immigrant here, you obviously have have earned your keep. And I'm not quite sure whether you have to be required to have money or whatever. I'm, I'm not quite I'm not quite sure that's the kind of standard we'd want to set in this country. But Mexico does. Mexico, you got you got to actually have like a bank account and and everything else. But uh, so far, so good as it relates to the uh, as it relates to the to the, the cooperation from Mexico. So they're closing their border with Guatemala, which actually at some point would probably in the end, uh, in the end would probably stop some of the caravans that we're seeing uh, coming in. Because keep in mind, and, and I've often said this, and I, and I will now, that, that the caravan in itself and, and illegal immigration in itself and promoting that and even sanctuary cities are actually in their genesis amoral because what you're doing is you're setting people up for failure or you're setting people up in a situation where you have a, a, a subculture of individuals who are not tied to this country except, for instance, by a paycheck. You also have a subculture of individuals who are here illegally and if somebody commits a crime against them, uh, robs them, assaults them, whatever, oftentimes they won't call the police because they're afraid because they're illegals. And so when you're Ill- an illegal, you can be manipulated, you can be exploited. All kinds of bad things can happen to you, and you might not raise a peep because you're afraid of being exposed as an illegal. It's a pretty, that's a pretty amoral approach to life to have people here who are just simply living in subcultures as opposed to actually being uh, not only productive members of society, but also being afforded all the luxuries of being a productive member of society. And one of those luxuries would be having police protection. I mean, you know, I know it's, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. There are a lot of people here in this country who are living, as they say, in the shadows. And living in the shadows is is uh, not a good thing when you have people who know you're living in the shadows and who are going to exploit you, whether it be through giving, making you work for nothing or abusing you. That's just what it is. All right. Also, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, have a big supporter here. His name is uh, Eric Naputi, NaputiWellness.com. So if you're looking for a great way to get your life in order when it comes to your health and do it holistically, naturally, and without shoving a bunch of pills down your throat, Naputi Wellness is the way to go. Dr. Naputi, I've gone to him for a number of years now. Whether it be sinuses or stomach issues or whatever, Dr. Naputi's there for you and will help you out. I, I have I've seen people down there who uh, go to Dr. Naputi and uh, they're going for treatment of PTSD. He's got a great brainwave therapy program down there. Uh, he uh, and not only in in South County but also in uh, Chesterfield, and then of course Champions Village is uh, geared more towards athletes and that kind of thing. So if you have young athletes or you're an athlete in your family uh, and you uh, need help with that stuff, whatever pain, whatever, he'll be able to do that for you. So people go down there too. Uh, their their kids have ADD, ADHD, and they go down. And Doctor Deputy has a great way 
uh, being able to resolve those issues as well on a natural level. Unfortunately, some of the things that go on with ADD, ADHD is just simply popping pills. And so they're just uh, kids are taking these these medications like like M&Ms and it's it's not helping people. So we all know what would happen in the old days with Ritalin. And all that other stuff, and uh, Dr. Naputi uh, will have none of that. So make sure you check it out on the web. It's NaputiWellness.com. That's NaputiWellness.com. All right, so um, check this out. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, organization called Vox. It's Vox.com. It's kind of a left-wing organization. Uh, and and uh, it's like a, like a news group and that kind of thing. And you know already how people, you know, after the election of uh, 2016, you know how people were not happy with the fact that we have an electoral college. And keep in mind, Republicans were in that situation not too long ago, too. Uh, Because I remember, and it was even as early as I think uh, 2014, no, 2015, when I was approached by some Republicans who uh, wanted to create a movement that was going to change the Electoral College uh, to the point where actually they, the electoral votes were given out as a percentage of the vote. So you, if you had a state that had 25 electoral votes, uh, it, the winner of that state wouldn't get all the votes. So the, so, so the winner of the state would get a portion of the votes, and the second place person would get a portion of the of of the electoral votes to make it more fair. Because at the time, before President Trump basically redrew the electoral map, which we said he'd have to do in order to uh, in order to win, remember? So because because going into the elections for the past twenty years or so. And they were talking about Hillary at this point. Going into the election, a Democrat, based on history and based on historical voting levels on the part of states, a a Democrat would go into the election, every election, already having 240 electoral votes. And so the fight actually wound up being over like 30 electoral votes. And, and usually it would be because so it would boil down to people uh, wanting to win Florida and be hyper focused on Florida and maybe some other other state out there. And so you had a situation where people were only like Florida was like the key state to win. And uh, and that was the battleground state. So. And it's true that Florida is an important state in in any election. But what I'm saying is it became like hyper-focused. And in fact, it got to the point where uh, – and and these are Republicans, by the way, who are are wanting this to happen. So it's not only the left that kind of complains about – you know this kind of stuff when they're losing. Uh, The right complains too when they lose, right? So anyway, after losing two elections to Barack Obama – the Republicans came up with that idea, this change in the Electoral College to, to, to be more representative in terms of the electoral vote. So you'd take a portion of them to the Democrats, a portion to Republicans, depending on how the vote came out. It, it got to the point where the Republicans were arguing, and they were right about this, though, by the way. Again, this was before President Trump came along and redrew the electoral 
map, so to speak. I'm talking about by winning Michigan or by winning Wisconsin, where otherwise used to go always towards uh, towards Democrats. President Trump changed that. Pennsylvania, another example. Uh, and that's why you saw him working so hard the last seven days of the election in these states that usually were commonly, even with the Minnesota for that matter, were commonly uh, Democrat-focused. And he went and changed that altogether. He changed the whole, whole dynamic of the Electoral College, which is how he won. But before that, the Republicans who couldn't figure that out, right, because they weren't appealing to normal, average, everyday people, uh, mainly like blue-collar people who would live in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. So they, they didn't bother with that because Republicans are lazy and, and, and because Mitt Romney has no juice and Mitt Romney's a beta. He's not an alpha. And you don't win elections when you're a beta, when you don't order the soup. I'm just saying that's another story for another time. So anyway, uh, and McCain was a terrible candidate too. I supported both of them. I voted for both of them, but, but, but they were, they, come on. It was so, I mean, it was so hard to get excited about John McCain. I mean, it really was until Sarah Palin came along. If it weren't for her, McCain would have been, it would have been a landslide. Then Romney and Ryan, it's like, Oh Lord, Mitt Romney. Really? He should have won that election, by the way, and could have. But Republicans at that time didn't focus on blue-collar people, didn't focus on working-class people. Uh, Democrats didn't either, but they were able to amass enough different people and, and, and maybe even some working-class people to vote for them. But Republicans couldn't do it. Low-energy people like, uh, like Mitt Romney couldn't pull it off. So instead what they did was they wanted to change the Electoral College. So it got to the point where Republicans, were, and, and they were right, that, that, okay, so the way it was working, a Democrat goes into any election with 240 electoral votes, so the fight is over 30, and then the fight usually boils down to Florida, for instance, okay, like it did in, in 2000. So the fight focuses on Florida, and they were able to pinpoint not only the fight focusing on Florida, but the fight focusing on two or three counties in Florida that if you won them, they would give you the win in Florida. So they had it right down in, in terms of their, in terms of their uh, uh, analysis. They, they were able to pinpoint three counties in Florida that if you won them, you'd win the state. I don't know how they did that or what they came up with or whatever. So, so and, and, and in many ways, that's not any way to have a presidential election when really in the end it all boils down to, you know, a few counties. Well, of course it's not. But, but that was reality before Donald Trump came along and changed the electoral map and won these states because Donald Trump had a different approach as a politician and as a campaign and that it was, okay, we're not just going to focus on the, the sure wins. We're going to focus on the ones that aren't sure wins and, and do it that way as well. It's, it takes hard work, and it takes actually a real concern for, uh, for uh, the people. And so that's, that's what he did. So now 
Uh, I don't know whether that's been permanently changed, but President Trump's going to do the same model when he runs in 2020. And, 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 and Democrats are going to try the same thing because Hillary Clinton, again, was lazy. And she was uh, one of the only candidates in the history of this country to think it was a good idea to attack people who she didn't think we were going to vote for her. I mean, I'll never forget her deplorable speech where it was I, – I was sitting there in my car listening to this speech, and I was thinking, I don't think I've ever heard in my lifetime and ever know of any example in history where a presidential candidate decided to attack voters. I've, I've seen the attacks on their, on their competitors. I've seen the attack on their, on their, uh, uh, on, on their opponents, but I've never seen a, a candidate attack voters. And so Hillary was a terrible person and a terrible candidate, and her deplorable speech is what really uh, dumped her. Her deplorable speech is what really sunk her. It was not, it was not the email stuff. It was none of that kind of stuff. Once she called half of America deplorable, half of America said, all right, B, we're going to, uh, to the polls now. If I, didn't, if I wasn't going to the polls before, I'm going to the polls now because that B just called me deplorable. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going. And then other people, uh, it turned them off. If they, even, if they had an inkling of, I don't know, maybe I'll vote for her. But she says I'm deplorable if I don't. So, um, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Then she talked about, you know, she basically was, you know, white working class uh, grievances. And the never Trumpers were the same way. So, you know, they really screwed it up. So anyway, uh, that's how it worked. So Republicans have not been immune to uh this idea of wanting to change the Electoral College. So I don't want to mislead you and think that only Democrats are sore losers or only left-wingers are sore losers. Republicans were at one point, and they wanted to manipulate the Electoral College to make it more fair. Well, they're not doing that anymore because they have President Trump who will give people a run for their money. And if you're a Democrat who can pull it off, more power to you. But you got to win the states. you got to win the Electoral College to win. That's the bottom line. And, and, and go, to, go, to, um, go to Altoona instead of Philadelphia. Try that for, try that for a change because that's what President Trump did. Instead of going to Philadelphia and, 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 the, and, and even Pittsburgh for that matter, go to Allentown and Altoona. Old girl didn't want to do that. She's too lazy. And plus, the media told her she was going to win. No path to victory for President Trump. Don't you worry about a thing, baby. You got this, you got this all wrapped up. No, no reason to go to Altoona and Allentown and talk to those dirty, rotten, low-life, working-class people. You got this in the bag. The people of, of Chicago are going to be the – and Miami and, and Dallas they're gonna, and, and, and Sacramento. They're going to put you over the top, girly. Don't you worry about those little people out there. They probably won't vote anyway. They're not going to come out and vote in Festus, baby. Don't you worry about Festus, Missouri? Huh. They're too busy uh, 
you know, cleaning their guns. They don't care about this. You've got this in the bag. And plus, you know what? They've been told by the media that their guy doesn't have a path to victory anyway. They're not going to show up. Then on election day, you could barely get into the place there in Festus at the voting booth there. Lines, cars, going all the way back. Never forget, Tim Surnike sent me a picture of a traffic jam trying to get to the polls in Festus. And then by about, oh, one o'clock in the afternoon, things were very quiet in the media and beyond. And I remember it because I was sitting in my car. Sitting in my car a lot, by the way, these days. So anyway, I, I, I was sitting in my car and I tweeted out. And if you go back in my tweets, if you want to, back to like one o'clock, two, maybe two o'clock in the afternoon on election day. I was thinking to myself, wow, uh, I, I tweeted this out, actually. I said, boy, the media and everybody's pretty quiet right now. It's pretty interesting how uh, they, don't have a, they don't have a bounce in their step over there at NBC and CBS and CNN. They don't seem to have that kind of, you know, jocularity on the air. Hey, everything's going great. And you know why? Because they saw pictures from Festus. They saw lines of voters going to the polls there. They saw the lines of people voting in Altoona and Allentown. And they saw the lines in Janesville, Wisconsin. Yeah, and Festus and Forestell. And they saw the lines in rural Florida. They saw the lines in Pensacola, and they realized that, ooh, huh. Well, I mean, we've seen the lines in Chicago before, and we've seen the lines in Philadelphia, and we've seen the lines in New York City, and we've seen the lines in Dallas, but we didn't see the lines like this in Amarillo and in Altoona and Pensacola and other places. And that's when they realized, uh uh-oh, these are Trump people. And they came out. It was really easy to see, even as of that morning, that there was a good chance Hillary was going to lose. And that's why everybody was so glum as early as 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then I remember being on the, I was was working out before I was going to go and cover the thing for the night. And I was looking at the map before the uh, polls were closed. It was like 7 o'clock at night, and the polls were still not, not closed in some cases. And uh, Hillary was giving was being awarded states with like 0% reporting. And we're going to project Hillary the winner of blah, blah, blah. And then I saw in like in Alabama, Trump was swamping her in early returns, for instance, right? And they still wouldn't give him the state. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I know what they're doing. CBS is trying to, to, to keep it, it, to add up these states, right? So that you can see this, this voting total. And at 7 o'clock, when you saw the voting totals, where they were giving this, where they were projecting the winners, Hillary was ahead of President Trump. But that was because they were giving states to Hillary with like 0% reporting where they had no voting at all. 
and and declining to get project the winner in Alabama, even though President Trump was clearly way uh, way ahead of her. But they wouldn't give him the state because they wanted the people to see that uh, Democrat Hillary Clinton Trump uh, scoreboard. And they wanted, to, they wanted him to have as few as possible, her to have as many as possible, so they could suppress the vote in the West and, and, and get the outcome that they desperately wanted. But by that time, you couldn't keep the lid on the, on the voters in all these places, and that's how it worked. So anyway, to my point, and, and, and it, it's hard to, uh, um, would, uh, to, to get to this thing, but I wanted to because – I wanted to dovetail it into the fact that uh, once again, these people are all complaining. The left is complaining now that it's uh, ridiculous, that it's unconstitutional for Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez to run for president. Immigrants, young people, and everyone else should be allowed to run. They don't like the fact that, for instance, you have to be – 35 years old to run for president. They don't, they, they don't, they don't like that whole idea uh, that someone needs to be at least 35 years old at the time they take office in order to run. They don't, they don't like that whole thing. And also uh, a citizen born in the U.S. They don't like that either. So people are trying to change the game. It's not unusual. Republicans wanted to change the game before Trump was running. Democrats want to change the game with the Electoral College and even now the Constitution to allow Ocasio-Cortez to win, to, win, to, to run for president. Bottom line is, you know what? Republicans and Democrats work in the arena that the Founding Fathers set up. Donald Trump proved that, yes, you can win as a Republican. Yes, you can win even if the preconceived notion is that a Democrat has going into an election, 240 electoral votes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, can, can to borrow from a, uh, yes, we can Obama deal. I mean, you know what? Obama did it. Obama, uh, you know, uh, even though he had a lot of help from the media and everything else, um, I don't think you could, you could argue that Obama didn't work hard. Uh, back in the day, it was a little. He didn't have to work too hard in 2012, but uh, in 2008, he worked for that. You know, he 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 built that. He didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. That was in 2012, though. You know, and you know, I'll give you. I'll let you. I'll let. I'll let you say you built it. 2008. Got to work hard. Got to work for what you get. That's how it works. Good morning this morning, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Tomorrow, Doug Giles is going to be joining us. Oh, Doug. Go to to DougGiles.art. He still has his uh, President Trump Christmas cards available for you. It's pretty cool. Great cards. A little box of them you can buy. Good morning, morning. All right, so uh, thank you to my buddies at Gold Oak Lending, 314-567-GOLD. No payments until February if you refi with them now. Plus, mention my name when you get a mortgage checkup and you get a free appraisal, so that's pretty cool, too. Matthew Mitchell and the Matthew Mitchell All-State Agency, 855-QUOTE-ME, low premiums, low deductibles all at the same time. 
Michael Proctor, Proctor spelled like doctor, ProctorDrapery.com for all of your window fashion needs. Seven days a week, this dude is available to you. Good guy, interior designer, you name it, you got it. With Michael Proctor. Thank you to my guys over at Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing for sponsoring the studio. DDTruckUSA.com. Rick and Jerry Pogue. It's my guys over there from Arrowhead who have a brand new company now. Thanks to our great uh, economy. And it's rocking too. For all of your hauling, trucking, your roofing, your roofer, you need conveyors. Wraps, whatever you have, he's got it for you. They have it for you at Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing. Tracy Ellis, thank you so much. TracyEllis.com. Tracy and Rick, premier real estate agents. You're going to love them. TracyEllis.com. Naputi Wellness, NaputiWellness.com. Don't forget about Nutrition HQ. NHQ.rocks, people. That's all for you, too. Loving it. All right. See you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Things were things really.